there's like a few cool cards there's some cube stuff oh yeah for sure there's some like solid archetype things like welcoming vampire i really like that card which one is that it's a two three flyer for three that draws a card whenever power two or less enters battlefield oh yeah yeah like the but it only does it once per turn yeah but it's like better bygone bishop basically yeah that card is sweet yeah it i think bygone bishop looks at cmc instead of power so it's like a more of like a mentor than meek i'm just thinking of the one that saw any actual constructed play whatsoever uh oh yeah sure being like beloved but never i think it's because mentor the meek was in a like far more powerful format though yeah but it's like way more famous than it you know than you would like think it would be based on the play that it actually saw yeah that's fair i mean i I actually played it a lot because it was quite good in block for a little bit Mm. but i mean that's a dead format so yeah yeah we don't really talk about blocks so much it's because there's no blocks anymore ccr they took it away from me. This one kind of is. Oh, but, but there's no block format. Like, I can't play block constructed. Yeah, that's for the best, though. I don't think so. I actually really like block constructed. I think block constructed is, like, pretty good for, like, one five-round tournament. That's about the amount of competitive play it's got in it. I agree with that, but I also think we okay. should have it, you know? Like, I want to go to that five-round tournament. I would play eight rounds, <laughs> I it, guess, to be honest. I guess that's fair. I mean... Like, if they arranged it such that, I don't know, I, I would like more paper opportunities to play current cards. Like, yeah. that would be a neat thing. I, I wish that there was, and I, I do miss PTQ seasons of, like, everybody is playing this format for the next two months. It's modern like, PTQ. It's extended PTQ season. Yeah, that was cool. So, you know, I'd be willing, if, if it takes having block in order to have that, I would accept it's not like block is that bad. Like, it's honestly just interesting because you can't play it anywhere. So people just have to do like whatever. And which I think is more novel than it's basically like drafting, except for everyone's trying to figure out the best draft. Because <laughs> you can't, you're just trying to figure out how many counter spells are on what turns of the game in this format versus like yeah. what your removals will actually kill. It's, it's, fascinating because you can't just look in the core set for doom blade or whatever that is funny i mean i do yeah like there are some cute things about it but you know look back and like are there any legendarily good block constructed formats uh, the like, only uh, the only good one i think is Innistrad. after sure. banning after the ban yeah right well, i i really i won a lot when intangible virtue was legal <laughs> uh full rtr block was really good too I guess, but there's only ever like three decks. Yeah. Sounds like standard. I don't know. Standard has a couple. Yeah, sorry, four decks. My bad. <laughs> That's on me. You're right. I think there's like five decks in standard. We'll see. Even if there's only three decks in block constructed, since no one ever plays it, it people are just going to play like a bunch of bad decks. So it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I don't think that's like that good, though. I do. Maybe I just yearn for the format where people put so little work into it. You can just play well and have a reasonable list and just do well. Yeah, I mean, you're just like wishing for a different era of magic where like, you know, maybe not everybody knew all the all the cards in the set or what rarity they were or definitely magic 
like low information magic the gathering is like a neat thing that can never exist again and i think that like i'm a little nostalgic for that's it, why but... i don't like that they got rid of the invitational like the magic invitational yeah with all the weird formats yeah they just like created formats out of whole cloth and then just put mm-hmm. them into this stupid thing and made people play them for the first time it's very interesting like that's one of the things that i want to recreate when i have suggested like if we're gonna have all the pro tours on arena like why don't we have cube as one of the formats for the pro tours please just come on <laughs> just stop showing standard all the time standard and historic that's that's all we got that's the only ones we're allowed to do and historic is historic not even a real format as a format of magic like nope. it, it's the cards that's on arena because they put it on arena and that's just the only way you can describe it i love that it's named historic but it is the least historic of all of magic's eternal formats well i don't know what's its density of like sagas and artifacts and legendary creatures mm, probably the highest of all the formats uh, well i guess legacy is probably way higher because you get all the commander cards yeah but there's way more cards in legacy so wouldn't legacy be more historic than historic then or is like percentage wise yeah that's what i'm saying is percentage wise like there's only like you know a, a tenth of a percent of the cards in legacy i guess more i guess there's a lot of legendary cards but you know certainly as you get later in magic there's a higher density of legends and certainly way more sagas but i guess lots of artifacts there aren't as many artifacts in old magic as you would think mm-hmm. because they were like marquee chase cards for so long right and they were never like less than uncommon yeah yeah so like you'd see like five artifacts in an entire block like mirage block has i think grinning totem and cursed totem and like that's kind that's of it. true they were like weird cool cards that you could play with mana of any color yeah like crazy yeah but they didn't go too ham on them because i mean i don't know why i guess they already <laughs> did it with antiquities and they had to ban juggernaut and they were scared i, I don't know it's so wild to me that there was a time in magic where they had to ban juggernaut that seems like it couldn't possibly have actually been a, the problem in the format whatever was going on well, lightning bolts i just don't understand <laughs> and swords to plowshares and like disenchant like it's really weird i mean maybe juggernaut was just the most efficient creature of all time at that point yeah i guess so. and if everyone's got all these like in crazy removal spells you just need the most efficient thing you can bring to the table Maybe this was pre-Swords to Plowshares, was that? Juggernaut was in Antiquities. Swords was in Ice Age. Right, I just don't know when it was a problem. Yeah, that's fair. I have no idea. Immediately upon release. This is a 5-3. This is the biggest creature I've ever seen. You can't block it with walls? With walls? How how else would I block? Attacks each turn if able? Yeah, like I'm blocking. Like I'm not going to attack that. (laughs) Unbelievable. It's just telling me to play properly with the card. Flavor text. We should probably get to the newest set instead of talking about the oldest, (laughs) one of the oldest ones. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 220 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. Uh, you ready to talk about some Crimson Vow cards? Oh, boy, am I? That doesn't. You shouldn't be asking me if you are. I mean, the set... I was reviewing it for the set review, as you do. 
I usually get excited somewhere around like the middle, like the black, red, and then the multicolor stuff. Mm-hmm. But for this set, I kind of like peaked at white and then just kept getting less and less excited as it went on. <laughs> oh no. So, I mean, I think there's some really cool cards in the set, but it's got a, this weird distribution. And also there's like a, a couple things I don't like about the set. Like there's no flashback for some reason, but they kept mm-hmm. in the disturb cards. Uh, and I just hate exploit in general. Yeah. And unfortunately the disturb cards are pretty unlikely to, to <laughs> having yeah. the backside be an aura is generally uh, not a recipe for success in constructed. There are a couple of disturb cards I actually do like. But they're well, mostly because they're just fine on the front side. Yes. And then, you know, the one where the backside doesn't enchant a creature is also, you know, <laughs> a little potential. But do you want to go first with your white card since you were excited about them? Yeah, sure. So we're doing five cards a piece and then talk about whatever at the end. I'm going to start with number five in white. I have Wedding Announcement. This is the card we talked a little bit about last time, which piqued my interest this is a two white enchantment with two sides uh, on the first side it's at the beginning of your instep you put an invitation counter on it and then if you attacked with two or more creatures that turn you draw a card otherwise you make a one one white token a human token then it has three invitation counters on it you transform it and it transforms into just an anthem creatures you control get plus one plus one uh this card is bizarre but it yes. does a lot of stuff and if you're ever interested in like grinding out, uh, I think this card's probably fine. I don't think it's as good as some of the other white cards in this very same set at doing the same thing, which is why yeah. it's so low. But I think if you can find a way to utilize the anthem while getting something out of like the first side, yeah, it's it's probably fine. But it's yeah. My excitement for this was reined in by the fact that there are just other cards in the set that do basically the same thing and it's also at exactly the wrong mana cost to yeah like it's just competing against the like 10 best cards in the white decks that you're struggling to figure out which ones you're supposed to fit in so all that's a rough spot costs three mana yes uh my number four is a very similar card it's welcoming vampire so this is a 2w23 vampire with flying uh, whenever one or more creatures enters the battlefield with two power or less, you draw a card. And this ability only triggers once per turn. So you can't like go ham on it and just draw a bunch of cards per turn. Mm-hmm. But it does have that extra angle without paying any additional mana on like a pretty reasonable body, a 2-3 flyer for 3. Yeah. Uh, that I, I really like this card. I, I wanted to put it much higher, but I talked myself into liking some other cards more. But I, I actually really like Welcoming Vampire. I think it's one of my favorite cards in this set. It reminds me of Mentor of the Meek and Bygone Bishop in previous. Mm-hmm. Those are both Innistrad cards, aren't they? Huh. Yeah, they are. I played Bygone Bishop in an Invitational. That that card does have a special place in my heart. I really like, you know, this sort of thing. I do have a hard time seeing like exactly what we're doing it, and it does feel a little bit mid-rangey for the standard format as it exists right now. But I mean, it's certainly like costed pretty aggressively for the amount of value you can get out of it. So I I do like this card. I, I hope that there's a way to make it work. I think it's more of a card 
for deck building options than like just a ubiquitously powerful card. Mm-hmm. Because like Adeline and Elite Spellbinder and Redain are all kind of like your top end or mid top end, I guess, of your just normal mono white deck. And that's just like super powerful, heavy hitting cards. And Welcoming Vampire is not that. It's a card that lets you just keep playing the game. Mm-hmm. So like with Bygone Bishop was good in the Oketra's Monuments decks where you could just play a bunch of cards over and over again and you would need it to fuel up. I'm hoping Welcoming Vampire gives different white decks a chance to exist rather than just all being like the best white cards. Like maybe you can play more of a smaller strategy that you need to fuel up or right. something like that. And it keys off of... It keys off of power, right? Not yes, CMC. Power. So, you know, you can, you kind of cheat it. You just, like, make sure that whatever thing you have is the type of card where, like, the power on the creature isn't the value. You know, you play it with, like, Skycliff Apparitions and, I don't know, some weird five-mana angel lifelink thing or something like that that, like, has two power. And just, like, you can kind of cheat this with your deck. Yeah, Bygone Bishop could never draw cards off of... What was it, Cloud Chaser? Is that the Muldrifter in Aether Revolt? Cloud, I remember that it, like people made a bunch of weed puns with it or something, but I, I don't I don't remember the name of that card, yeah. Alright, I'm I'm I have to look it up. Cloud Blazer. Cloud yeah, Blazer. That was, um, that was that's the source of the weed puns. Of course. Yeah, like you can never draw cards off of Cloud Blazer because it's too expensive for Pragon Bishop, mm-hmm. but for card like Welcoming Vampire, you just could. I don't think there's a card like that, but I mostly like this card for the decks it opens up rather than just being like, you know, oh, this is just the best white three drop now and that sort of thing. Yes. I think the the card that I'm thinking of is, uh, oh yeah, so the, the card that I was thinking of specifically is Angel of Destiny, the three white, white, like two, six flying double strike. That, oh, like, the flip card? No, this is the one that uh, you, whenever creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you and that player each gain that much life at the beginning of your end step. If you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, each player Angel of Destiny attacked this turn loses the game. I've actually seen this in a, so this, this angel is a cleric. So I've seen it in like a Pyre of Heroes cleric deck that was like actually wildly more powerful than you would expect it to be unfortunately welcoming vampire probably not a cleric i assume <laughs> or else that would be an incredible fit for this card just but, a vampire you know, no creature type other than vampire it, it does go perfectly in that pyre of heroes deck so you know maybe make the exception there anyways yeah i'm moving yeah. along number three <laughs> <That's> time <fair. laughs> uh, it's just thalia guardian of Thraven. Mm-hmm. this is a reprint from dark ascension it's a one and a white two one first strike not creature spells cost one more to cast and it's a legendary human soldier uh she's just a really good white two drop like one of the best of all time yes i mean she allows death and taxes one of the best decks in legacy to exist like th- this is a special card yeah and it's it was quite playable the last time standard was she was in standard because that was with snapcaster mage and stuff like that mm-hmm. and there are still lots of flashback decks epiphany being like the big one with mm-hmm. like avanic iterations and such Ex- even expressive iteration gets really difficult with thalia in play yeah casting card draw spells with thalia in play is a losing proposition generally uh, yeah she she's a two drop that demands to be killed and generally you're gonna be doing that at a 
you're 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 never doing better than exchanging evenly on mana with her you're generally doing worse than that and if you just don't have the kill spell like she just kills you yeah i i do think the massive popularity of spike field hazard is a little bit of a problem for her because the decks yeah. that she's best against will has the most numerous answers to her mm-hmm. but i mean like you said they don't have the answer they're gonna die pretty quick adeline is no joke and a curve that goes like folly into adeline is that's that's rough i mean so there's no way to build your white deck such that spike field hazard isn't very good against you because like you're gonna have elite spellbinders and luminarch aspirants and some numbers and at least when Thalia is getting Spikefield Hazarded, it costs them two mana to do it. And that's like one of the better outcomes. And then you can play your Elite Spellbinder. So, yeah, I, don't, I mean, killing Thalia is always a break even proposition. Yeah. It's just that you, you, you shouldn't build your deck to like rely on Thalia to stop your right. opponent. I think right, that's right. where a lot of people are going wrong in evaluating this card because it is very powerful what's on the battlefield, but it also demands them to take it off. So once they've taken Thalia off, you actually need to like kill them or apply more like Elite Spellbinder or whatever. So you can keep them off balance. You can't just be like, oh, my Thalia died and I don't have another one. Guess I'll lose now. It, it's just a two drop that I'm happier to play against the blue decks than Intrepid Adversary. Like, also, I would so. The more they have to Spike Field Hazard Athalia is the less they are Spike Field Hazarding Luminarch Aspirant. Yes, exactly. Which is an incredible card. Yep. And, you know, if you're, like, on the play and maybe they had an awkward, like, mana draw or something like that, and then you get to, like, Luminarch Aspirant and then put a counter on the Thali, you know, like, there are games that will play out like that, so. Uh, my number two is a bit of a a weird one. This is a hopeful initiate. Mm-hmm. It's a white mana 1-2 human warlock with training, uh, which is a new keyword for the set, which is kind of like reverse mentor. Uh, it's whenever this creature attacks with another creature that has greater power, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. Uh, so at base rate, it's a one mana one two that if you attack with something bigger than it, it's a two three. Uh, but it also has another ability. Uh, you can pay two and a white and remove two plus one plus one counters from among creatures you control. So it can be it and something else or just it or just other things or whatever. And you destroy an artifact or enchantment. So... Uh, this card is just does a lot of things for a very cheap cost yeah and it's probably the best one drop in standard for white decks at least yeah the white decks have been just happily putting like eight basically unplayable one drops in their deck here are my draft commons just to get the damage in (laughs) yeah so this is a pretty massive improvement of over those doesn't die to spike field hazard any any one drop that can get to two or three power pretty easily is you know it, it might take a turn or two but like this starts on turn one like this card's just good yeah and it's not like attacking for one on turn two is that bad since you're doing it over half the time you play your white text now anyway right uh and if you ever disenchant something with this card you're going to be on top of the world because yes. i don't expect this ta- text to matter very much at all but when it does you'll point it and it be like oh yeah this was completely free i was playing this <laughs> card without this text <laughs> yep and my number one white card honestly probably should not <laughs> i think hopeful initiate probably should be my number one but my number one was a a card dear to my heart it's faithbound judge mm-hmm. this is a one white white four four 
with the Flying Defender and Vigilance. It's a Spirit Soldier. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, if it has two or fewer Judgment counters on it, you put a Judgment counter on it. And then if it has three or more Judgment counters on it, it can attack as though it didn't have Defender. It also has a backside, because it has Disturb, of five white-white. And the Disturb is a curse, so you enchant your opponent. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a Judgment counter on it, and when there are three counters on it, the enchanted player loses the game. I think that side's just mostly some cool flavor text. If you ever get to seven mana and then keep playing the game for three more turns and you you got it you know yeah i mean this is a format that is built around like people trying to have a strategy that works against seven mana sorceries so you know like if somebody's set up to beat all runs epiphany they're certainly set up to engage with the backside of this card but it's that it's kind of for free on, on your three mana four four flyer that this card just reminds me of plume veil basically mm -hmm. uh, well plume veil is bonkers ridiculous because it has flash <laughs> and it's really and easy to cast also that was an older era of magic where yeah. it was just bigger than everything your opponent was attacking with at that point in the game yes but i i, I could see trying out some faithbound judges in a like a, a blue white deck or whatever a slower mm -hmm. more controlly deck just have something on the battlefield that's difficult to deal with I think it pairs really well with uh it well, it might pair really well with Dorothea, the which is a blue white four four. It kind of has like a similar deal. Yeah. It's kind of useless, but it's really big. It always <laughs> trades up. Uh yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty you know, this trades with Goldspan Dragons. Like, this this could do some work. I'm not like convinced, convinced, but I wouldn't be super surprised to see it seeing some play. I think it's mostly a card that just sees play in slower white decks if they can exist which is going to be hard for me to recommend as long as like yeah epiphany is the thing people are doing because it's not like you want to attack the epiphany in your slow like blue white deck by playing Thalia or whatever so there's like what what angle are you actually effectively attacking them from and i don't think that's a good one right right we're not doing like book of his book of exalted deeds stuff in the standard right now mm-hmm but this card's really big. It's pretty big. I mean, you know, it's the same size as an old growth troll. So that's fair. I mean, yeah, old growth troll is just so efficient. I guess yeah, that you can't really uh, you can't ever trade one for one with it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your five. Mm -hmm. That's my five. All right. So I cheated a little bit on my lists, and I like kind of put in parentheses like some of the reprints that I don't want to spend too much time talking about or like commit a whole card number to but uh, I do want to note uh, Valorous Stance in white gives one of your creatures indestructible or kills a creature with toughness four or greater that kills like basically everything that you are faithful absencing anyways so there's a decent chance that this is the one that you want in your white decks. It kills Goldspan Dragon, it kills Smoldering Egg, flipped or not flipped, it kills Leer, just like kills a lot of stuff. And also, when it's not killing something, actually has text. And I, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, people were playing the, like, in Invitational, someone played the AFR card. I don't remember the name of it. It's one of the modal ones. It's like white mana, return a creature to your hand that you control, or give a creature plus one, plus three. Yeah. And that's just because it was basically a counter spell for damage based removal. Right. And this card is way better at that because you, you actually want to spend sideboard slots on it. It does cost two it mana. It does cost two so. mana, yeah. 
You're not quite punking their removal spell the same way. But this will definitely see play. I think it's it's pretty good. Uh, my number five is Voice of the Blessed. Voice of the Blessed? I don't know. White, white for a 2-2 Spirit Cleric. It's an Ajani's Pride Mate, but if it has four counters on it, it has Flying and Vigilance. If it has ten or more counters on it, it also has Indestructible. Uh, you're just going to like see this card a ton in like historic format. Just like people play life gain decks when they can. This is a lot better than a Johnny's Pride Mate in those decks. They generally have no problem with a white-white mana cost. That's way better with Heliod than just one white in the mana cost. And a Johnny's Pride Mate did have this problem where it's just like, it's a 14-14, but I can't kill you with it because you have creatures in play. Make a Castle Ardenvale token block. <laughs> yeah and this card doesn't have that problem so i expect this card to have like way longer lifetime legs than like most cards in this set so you know uh my number four is circle of confinement this is just the the two mana enchantment based removal spell of the set when it enters the battlefield exile target creature and opponent controls with mana value three or less until circle of confinement leaves the battlefield whenever an opponent casts a vampire spell with the same name as a card exiled with circle of confinement you gain two life it's just a good option to have this is as... like the silk wrap variant is that what the card's called yes or baffling end baffling end but it is you know probably worse than baffling end baffling end's one of the better versions of this effect we've seen uh, but, you know, a little bit of life gain if there's an aggro vampire deck, maybe. I don't know if that thing is ever going to trigger in Constructed Magic. No, I looked at the vampire cards. They're not... They do. They just don't work well together, as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, a lot of people are, like, really thinking about vampire stuff. Like, a lot of, you know, players and creators that I respect are thinking about vampire stuff, but I'm not sure that I see it either. Like the problem is that my favorite vampire, at least, is Edgar, which is a white-black card, and all the other vampires are, like, red or black. Yeah, I don't think Edgar's the one you want to be doing anyways, because I think the vampire deck is going to have to be pretty aggressive to work. So. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I like white cards a lot in this format, so sure. I gravitate towards the white good vampire. There's just, like, yeah. not any other ones. <laughs> Fair. Uh, but yeah, anyways, this is just a removal spell that's good to have, gets around indestructible and that sort of thing, and uh, exiles, so uh, solid effect, uh, these things always see play. Obviously, you need to choose between this and portable hole or some combination of the two, and it just depends on what threats you're trying to get rid of. My number three is Fleeting Spirit. This is one and a white for a 3-1 spirit. That has white, exile three cards from your graveyard, it gains first strike until end of turn, discard a card. Exile Fleeting Spirit, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, I think the white decks have been kind of missing in a Danto Vanguard variant. This is, I or Seasoned Hallowblade variant, I guess. This is maybe a little bit worse than Seasoned Hallowblade, but I think it's like similar in enough ways. It's just a 3-1 that is like hard to remove, and th that's fine. So I... I've been aware of this card for a bit because it's another Season Hallowblade variant, but I think this card's actually way, way, way worse than Season Hallowblade and Adante Vanguard mm -hmm. because you it removes it from combat. So a lot of the power, I think, of Hallowblade or Adante Vanguard is against aggressive decks. You can just throw your guy in there, and then you can throw away your worst card for whatever they block with if you want to do that. Like mm, you, Right. 
And you can't do that with this card. But this does have the first strike clause. Like, I wouldn't be interested in this card. Like, like the first strike clause, I think, makes up a reasonable amount of ground. Like, three cards in the graveyard is a lot. But that does allow it to do an impression at some point. Especially, you know, if you've had to discard a card to it. You know, you can get there. I think it's... Like, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think the first strike will happen at the win uh, like too late a window just like a smidgen too late where you want to really get the value with the, like a season hellblade cover card sure and i don't i think just losing the option of being able to win combats with this card is really hurts it yeah that's possible i i think it'll see some play i like if we had a Dante vanguard or season hellblade those would definitely be very good and i do agree that this is worse because of that i just don't know if that's enough to make it like not not the, a thing that you want. Uh, my number two is Hopeful Initiate. I do think this is just like your best option as a one drop. The white deck exists and is good. And this is going to see play. And, and it's going to be your best way to start games off. Uh, and my number one, I have issued my reprint philosophy <laughs> for this one. I do think Thalia is just like the most important white card in the set. Both because... It certainly will do work in standard, but also bringing it into Pioneer is a really big deal for anyone who cares about that format. Yeah, Pioneer's in this weird spot where Omnath is still legal in that format, so <laughs> right. it's kind of weird, but I mean, it exists. The Phoenix is really good in that format still, so. Yep, and you certainly are happy having Athalia in play against Phoenix. All right, blue cards. So, kind of the... The thing about this set is I just, like, didn't feel confident in my lists, like, at all, because I feel like almost every card in the set, except for a handful of, like, okay, yeah, this is a removal spell. They're really niche and specific. Right. It's just, like, they're all, like, speculative things that could be good or could see no play at all. Like, every single card is that. So my lists are just, like, the ones that I, that fill niches that I think I want to fill. So... Reprint card that I am pointing out from blue is Syncopate. It's never the counterspell that you want, but it is often the counterspell that you have to put in that slot. So it's like really bad on the draw most of the time, <laughs> but it's okay and like works on turn two and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, you know, whatever. Syncopate's here. Uh, my number five blue card is Dream Shackle Geist. One blue blue for a three one flying. At the beginning of combat on your turn, choose up to one tap target creature or target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. This just feels like a really efficient like dungeon geist to me. Very good against creatures out of your like blue tempo e or spirit deck or whatever. Obviously, in the older formats, the three mana slot for spirits is, you know, all of your best spirits cost three mana, so that is tough. But if the thing you're trying to deal with is creatures, this is like very good at racing and just shutting things down. Yeah, this one I looked at and passed over because it's kind of just all sorcery speed for me for for one of those kind of decks, and it doesn't yeah. have like the reliability of a dungeon geist where you get to tap something and freeze it. So like if hopefully they attack with their their dragon or whatever you can freeze it and then you freeze it forever and it's great mm-hmm. but if you play this and then they play their dragon like you get hit for four and then you then you could first start freezing it and that, that i don't like that yeah but i mean this is also just a three one flyer for three so it's not like 
And I don't think that's particularly good. Right, but you're you're getting like the the kind slightly awkward removal spell on top of a like not you know elite spellbinder is a three one flyer for three like that and the body on elite spellbinder like it kills you pretty quickly. I don't love three one flyers for three, but add add it all together, and I do think this is pretty efficient. But the best three one flyers for three, which is a very weird category, I just put myself in. <laughs> they're all cards that just do something, and then the body is kind of like along for the ride and it's just a good body if you don't have to like work for it like a uh, brazen bar elite spellbinder vendillion click those are all like i i want this effect and it's on a just generically powerful body mm-hmm. and i don't think this effect is particularly desirable and the body is not fantastic see i i just think like you know, one of the ways that you lose with a blue tempo-y flyer deck is, like, your your opponent's just playing creatures at the same pace as yours. Theirs don't have flying, but they are bigger. And, like, this lets you win those games. I don't know if that's a thing that's important enough, but I can see a lot of games where, like, this would be a good card. But I think this might be, like, a good sideboard card. Again, in yeah. some sort of, like, Mori blue-white tempo or whatever, where you can just sideboard it against mono green. It seems very sure. good against mono green. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, my number four card is another spirit card, weirdly enough. This is Geistlight Snare. Two and a blue for an instant. Costs one less to cast if you control a spirit. Also costs one less to cast if you control an enchantment. Counter target spell unless its controller pays three. This is just like a pretty efficient version of the like counter spell that costs two mana as long as one of your creatures in your blue creature deck is in play. Ooh, so. see, I was I kind of interested in the enchantment side of this card. Sure. Like, I don't know what cheap enchantments there are, but if you got, like, the Silkrap variant in play, this card's really cheap. Uh, mm-hmm. If we were still in a, a place where we could play Omen of the Sea, this card would be quite good. But, yeah. like, I, I haven't done the Scryfall searches of, like, what are the cheap things you can just have in play incidentally to make this card pretty good. But... <laughs> Curse of Silence. Uh, yeah, Curse uh... of Silence, a random card that you don't know, and then just have a turn to mana leak. Perfect. Great. I'm so excited. <laughs> but, you know, there's... Right, so there's multiple ways to turn this into a mana leak. I'm a little more interested. You know, enchantment decks generally play pretty long games, and then mana leak falls off at some point in those games. Yeah. Spirit decks, mana leak is pretty much good for as long as that game is going to last, so... Again, the problem with spirits I have in the this set and the previous Innistrad set, maybe this is solved with Kamigawa, but like the only good ones are three mana, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very awkward where you just it put is... all of your good cards at one mana cost and no other. Yeah, pretty tough. Uh, all right, my number three is Wash Away. This is blue for an instant with cleave. If you so, if you pay the one mana cost you counter target spell that wasn't cast from its owner's hand the cleave cost is a a cancel pay some extra mana to counter whatever but it's on the cheap side it counters anything that wasn't cast from their hand yes which concludes like a foretold card yes uh foretold card flashback card uh suspended card a card that you cascaded into i think that spellbinder yeah, combo with Elise Spellbinder. <laughs> like, they have to pay the extra mana, and then you just get to say no. Like, that's kind of sick. Le- legitimately, I think that's pretty sick. Yeah, that, that combo is really good. It's it's weird that you would put a deck with a cancel and an Elite Spellbinder in it, though. But I want to live in that world where you can do that. Yeah, and I think, like, 
if you have any hand you have with Elite Spellbinder and Wash Away, like, Wash Away is going to counter the Elite Spellbinder card at some point. Like, that's your intent with that hand. And that's pretty hot. I mean, I think this has application in older formats, too. Just that there's a lot of Cascade decks, and this gets them. And this gets also, like, the suspended crashing footfalls in those games, and that's kind of cool. I saw someone play Nyx at the last modern tournament I was at, which is a future mm-hmm. side card which counters a spell that no mana was spent to cast. Yeah. And this card is just often better than Nyx nearly every single time. Well, unless you are worried about their elementals, right? If that's right. one of the things you're that, countering that's, with Nyx. That is, I mean, Wash Away I don't think is, like, top of the list for modern playable because of that. Yeah. But I also don't think, like using nyx as a way to deal with elemental spells is a good strategy either <laughs> no probably not really the most winning strategy uh i mean I, I just think like wash away like is up for consideration in your fluster storm sideboard slot potentially sure uh and in standard you know you can get the all runs epiphany you can also get copied spells too so you can get the copy of an epiphany or another spell for one mana with this even if they cast the main one from their hand and often limiting them to one time walk is enough to make it just not that bad. So this is one of those, like a main factor of the format has been like, if your opponent only has one mana up, you're safe. You can do whatever. And I think this kind of changes that potentially. Yeah. I like, I like this card a lot. It is still a counterspell though. So Lear out of those same text does still do work. True. But this is also a cancel and I think that 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 so so what we haven't talked about is how long of a way that goes because cancel is just like a fine card in those like blue mirrors yeah uh, and so I you can, often keep and divide by zero just have some interaction <laughs> you have to yeah and this counters their leer and like how how awful is it to have you know test of talents up and they're just like I sideboarded in goldspan dragons. And then they play a Goldspan Dragon. You're like, well, I guess I just lose. And this does, you know, this counters Goldspan Dragon. So, yeah, that's true. I, I like this card a lot. It took me a while to process the card because of the mm-hmm. cleave stuff, but when yeah. I when I came away from it, I really liked it. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, buckle up because my next card's another cleave card. Okay. This is inspired idea. Uh, two and a blue. Draw three cards. Your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. It's a sorcery. Or you can pay five, and then you just draw three cards, and your hand size isn't reduced. Just, like, the combo potential of this card. Or the refill potential in, like... I think this is a really cool card to play one or two copies of in a Phoenix deck or a Prowess deck. And three cards is so many cards. Oh, speaking of prowess decks, did you see like Underworld Breach stuff has started catching on in prowess decks in modern? Like people yeah. are just playing a couple of those now because yeah. the card's just so nuts to refill with. We knew it. I mean, we we knew that that was true. Yeah, just, just throw down a throw down a, an Underworld Breach. Put your Mistress Bubble from the graveyard. Trigger your your channeler. You're good to go. Yeah, we're all set. Anyway, sorry. I like this card. Just three cards for three mana is so efficient. And the drawback in certain types of decks is just not that severe. So I'm into it. Yeah, we, we talked about this card a lot last week. It's, mm-hmm. I, I still think, one of my favorite cards in the, the whole set. It's just so powerful for what yes. you pay for. Yeah, really fun design and, and definitely like stretches your imagination a little bit as you try to figure out the best way to put it into a deck. And then my number one 
number one card still like a spec pick but this is Hullbreaker horror five blue blue for a seven eight kraken horror with flash this spell can't be countered whenever you cast a spell choose up to one return target spell you don't control to its owner's hand return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand i mean just thinking about like playing epiphany mirrors if i could just like sideboard out my epiphanies like if i were at the envy and I just had Hullbreaker Horror and nobody else did. And I could sideboard out my Epiphanies and sideboard into Hullbreaker Horrors. I don't think it's possible to lose that matchup. Well, it's very large. And <laughs> yes. it has a counter spell or a divide by zero on every single card you play for the rest of the game. So, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Speaking of divide by zero, though, you know, divide by zero is certainly this card's like arch nemesis. You don't really want to get it divided. But in stuff like Epiphany Mirrors, I don't think it's that bad if that does you know you eot it they divide it by zero you, you go tap. to your turn yeah you're, you're fine <laughs> like who cares yeah that the, the whole point of the mirror is to make them spin mana at times where you can do stuff with it like mm -hmm. with their mana uh, down like that whole mirror is just like counting cards and seeing what you can do with your mana versus theirs plus interacting right. with the stupid combos i mean certainly if you cast eot hullbreaker horror and they're like okay, Galvanic Iteration, Unexpected Windfall, and then I will divide by zero it. Like, that's pretty bad for you, but... I mean, hopefully you know. you've counted their mana and nobody can do that, so... Yeah, I mean, it's just like having this card in your deck kind of opens yourself up to, like, creating those windows for them. So, could be bad. Uh, but, you know, I also see applications for this in, like, older formats, too. This is potentially a pretty powerful reanimation target as long as your deck contains a fair number of instants but you know faithless mending is an instant so you can just get this into play and kind of protect it and kind of stop them from doing stuff certainly the bounce clause is better in formats where people are paying four mana for things but it's notably not legendary so uh -huh. you can persist it <laughs> it's true a good point and it still has seven toughness and can't be unholy heated if you persist it I mean, it can be solituded, but, you know, what can't? I know. I, I'm i so tired of getting solituded. <laughs> I just, I'm so tired of it. That is that is probably the the nail in the coffin for this, and I don't, I don't like modern reanimator, because you can't just, like, reanimate a card that doesn't do anything when you reanimate it. You, like, then have to make sure you have an extra thing to do. Right. Which you is... gotta have a consider up or whatever, and yeah. then... Although, if you have a flash elemental in your hand, you can use that as your spell to bounce a spell with. It's a real good guy with a gun situation. <laughs> it's uh, not my favorite format right now, Lee. <laughs> uh, but those are my blue cards. All right, I've got some different blue cards here. I thought you might. Yeah, there's a lot of really weird blue cards in this set. It's all that they are. They're all really weird. <laughs> I I actually had Wash Away as my number five for a while because mm -hmm. I just like that card a lot. But I, I ended up taking good, yeah. it off for a more speculative card. <laughs> nice. Uh, it is So my number five ended up being Mirror Hall Mimic, which mm -hmm. is a three and a UOO spirit. It's a clone. Um, yeah. As it enters the battlefield, you can have a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types. Uh, notably, unlike Spark Double or whatever, you can copy your opponent's creatures, so it's always going to be the best card in the battlefield, just like Clone. Mm -hmm. 
it is just clone on the front side, basically. Yeah, so. spooky clone. Spooky clone. And it has a disturb because it's the spirit from the Crimson Val. <laughs> so it's got disturb three UU. Uh, and you flip it over, it's just an enchantment, uh, enchant creature. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you make a token that's a copy of the enchanted creature. Uh, again, I think the disturb cards are mostly flavor text, but it is neat to have a clone that has a graveyard active thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vizier of Many Faces was a nice one from Amonkhet, I believe, where that was like yeah. a, that was a clone where it, it was two clones. Being a clone from the graveyard is way better than just being a random aura. But I mean, against Monogreen, you can still enchant their cards. Mm-hmm. So if you get an old growth troll every turn, they have to like figure out a way to get rid of their own troll, and that's kind of entertaining. <laughs> Well, probably by trying to attack it into your old growth trolls. I mean, yeah, but once you get like two or three, you can probably trade them off, right? Mm-hmm. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I just, I don't think this is like nearly as powerful as Wash Away or anything that I displaced it for. I just sure. like clones and the ability for them to do something when they're in the graveyard. Like to get extra cards out of them. Because I think clones are really suffer from basically being just a being a four-mana creature yeah, yeah they're just an yeah. even trade with whatever you copy right which means you have to get more than that or what have yes. you done you just match your opponent's play or your other play like it's not that good so this, i'm always a little lookout for a clone that can do something other than like the base clone thing yeah and vizier you know was a special case in seeing play because the whole point of that card is like this is going to be a glory bringer 75 percent of the time and then yeah. it's going to be a glory bringer when i bring it back from the graveyard but you know this certainly isn't in that world i i, I do think this card is really neat and i would love if it does see play it is difficult for i, I don't to see play but i don't expect this to see play but i mean i think the clone text is a lot more playable than a lot of people give it credit for like mm-hmm. i think if stunt double were ever in standard which is just a clone with flash mm-hmm. i think that card would be very good <laughs> Well, I mean, all you need to do is reduce the mana cost very slightly, you know? Yeah, like, three mana clone or three mana phantasmal clone is, image is insane. Yeah, phantasmal image is an insane card. Three mana and two life for a clone that can also clone artifacts is a really good card that sees a lot of play, like, in in, in a standard format at least. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the really, I guess, the four mana thing that does it, which is why I'm looking for extra value. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's enough sure. about clones. I'm going to move on to my number four, which is Overcharged Amalgam. This is a 2UU 3-3 flash flying zombie horror uh, with exploit, which means when it is a battlefield, you can sack a creature. And when it exploits a creature, you can counter a spell, an activated ability, or a triggered ability. Uh, this is in the mythical blue tempo space that we pretend exists, but it... Yep. Eh, I, love to I don't know if it, it ever will. Yep. <laughs> uh, Overcharged Amalgam is just really flexible. If you can ever mm-hmm. play it in the kind of tempo shell, because it's pretty bad as a counterspell. Like, two UU counterspells are pretty bad. Yeah. Like, this is much worse than Disallow, which is a card that's all a lot of play just because it was the only cancel in the format. And I don't think this card's good enough to just stand alone as a, a cancel you can play. So you have to be doing something with the exploit another creature kind of deal mm-hmm. and i don't know if decks that can use it exist right now which is a little disappointing but if a deck ever does put stuff on the battlefield and be able to play like the tempo game i think this is one of the first cards you go to 
I mean, you can just put Startle in your deck. Make put, a 2-2 two, two zombie with Decay. Oh, Startle. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrifice yeah. that to your overcharged Amalgam. You got, you got a stew. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, like, you have to look at this as basically a split card that is a 4-mana cancel or a 4-mana 3-3 flash flyer. And then sometimes you get some upside out of it, but it is kind of tough to do that and kind of tough to build your deck in a way that makes that consistently happen. And also, as you pointed out, when Exploit was revealed as a mechanic in the set, this gets hard countered by a braid. If you yeah. cast this intending to counter a spell and they respond to the Exploit trigger going on the stack by killing it, do not sacrifice a creature because you won't get the second exploit trigger that counters the spell. You can sacrifice a creature, but there's no longer a yeah, trigger. It makes their braid just really strong for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, that makes a braid just like a negate for your counter spell. And that potentially is like your shields are not as powerful as you might think they are. Especially since I think this card's best with other creatures, and those are worse against removal spells that your opponent's going to want to have in against you. So, right, that is very awkward. Yep. Uh, my number three is a card I really, really like, but I have no idea how good it is at all. Uh, this is Jacob Hawkin Inspector. Okay, yeah, I misread this card uh, and then reread it and thought maybe this should go on my list. Yeah, it's a really easy card to misread. So this is a one in a U O two legendary human advisor it's essentially a looter it's got a tap ability tap draw a card then exile a card from your hand face down then you can you can look at the card for as long as it remains exiled and you can pay for uu and if you do transform jacob pocket inspector so that's all one ability so <laughs> you at base value you loot but instead of going to the graveyard it goes to exile which is worse uh, and after you've looted, you can then pay six mana to transform it. That's all one ability. Your opponent can't respond to it if they've let you draw a card. Mm -hmm. On the back side, so after you've paid the six mana, it's a legendary enchantment now called Hawkins Insight. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you exile the top card of your library face down, and you can look at it. And once during each of your turns, you can play a land or cast a spell from among the cards exiled with this permanent without paying its mana cost. So there's so many words on this card, but essentially what the backside does is that you can, it's an Omniscience variant. Like as long as you've exiled a card with either the looter or just the every turn this enchantment exiles a card, you can play a card from that cache for free. So the idea is that you can loot, then pay the six mana, and then pay, play something big off the back half immediately. Mm-hmm. Because that's like your ability resolved during your main phase, presumably. Then you can just immediately cast another card. Yeah. So, right. So two things that like on my first read, I completely missed that it was without paying its mana cost, which obviously is the bulk of the power of this card. Uh, and then as I reread it, I realized like, oh, they can't respond to you paying the six mana. So they never get you. They just have to kill this card like immediately before you get to six mana or else they're in a really awkward spot against it where it's like you activate it and now they have to respond to that and then you get to do other stuff with your turn and you know you got a loot out of it that they probably should have just stopped you from getting so although it is kind of awkward that like you loot on turn two and you're like yeah i should exile this all runs epiphany so that i get my free all runs epiphany and then they're just like i found my removal spell for that i will kill it and you now have an exiled all runs epiphany 
Yeah, but like looting itself isn't that bad. As long as you're mm-hmm. aware that your opponent can kill your cards, you shouldn't throw all your eggs under it. You can just have the Epiphany be the last card you exile exactly. in this scenario. And then yeah. immediately cast it. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm like pretty into this, especially given that like, you know, the very cheap removal in the blue red decks is spike field hazard. And then to kill this thing, like you need like a real removal spell. You, you're not playing like shocks or anything. You do need to spend like two or three mana to kill it. And if you don't, even if you don't pay the six mana, this is just looting and making your hand better. Yeah, it's people compared it to Jace Friends Prodigy because that was like a standard playable looter. But the cards are so different. I wouldn't <laughs> make that comparison. I, but looters are just good as long as they can do you know something something else. yeah i i mean yeah it it is certainly different but it's a like two mana o2 looter that becomes a real force to re- be reckoned with yeah. exactly yeah obviously with jace like a big part of the power was that you'd never have to invest a single extra mana into it for it to yeah. do its thing but and it, and it kept you alive and etc right. etc like it, jace, it, the, jace has just had a bunch of text on it way more yeah. text than this card somehow and it was a, it also had two backs so it makes sense I, this card has a lot of text on it, but yeah. Well, Jace has the invisible planeswalker text, which is just the rules of how planeswalkers <laughs> just a work. Huge set of rules, yeah. We all we all know how planeswalkers work now. Uh, my numbers two and one are both repeats from your list. My number mm-hmm. two is the Holebreaker Horror. That's the seven eight Kraken Horror that bounces stuff. Yep. And then my number one is Inspired Idea, which is this incredible card draw spell that you can just <laughs> run out of cards with. Yeah. <laughs> just want to like pyromancers ascension this and just draw a lot of cards and make my hand size zero and like deck myself and that, that's what i want to do it's really easy to deck yourself pyromancer ascension but this card makes it even easier <laughs> even easier yep into both of those cards for sure so on to black so i really struggled with black uh, i didn't think a lot of the cards were super good or i didn't see the potential of a lot of them but sure Moving to my number five here, I've got Voldaren Bloodcaster. Mm-hmm. This is a 1B, 2-1 flying vampire wizard. Uh, when it or another non-token creature you control dies, you make a blood token. And uh, whenever you create a blood token, if you have five or more blood, you transform it. And on the back side, she is a 3-3 flyer. That at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can trans you can up to one target blood token creature you control become a 2-2 black bat with flying in haste i i just think this card is a pretty good base rate if you're doing mm-hmm. anything creaturey focused so it's a 1b2 it's a mistral charger in in black a 1b2 one flyer with all upside text i do think the ability that like creating blood is good being able to filter through cards is actually quite powerful mm-hmm. but a lot of the cards that make blood are really gated in how you get it. Like it's it's kind of difficult to make blood compared to even like clues, which are just generically stronger. Yeah, this this is the one of all of the blood cards that has like the least restrictions on it. It's just non-token creature you control dies. This isn't like a once per turn thing. It's not like limiting the number of them. It's like pretty easy to make it happen. And when this thing dies, you get a blood. So this is kind of the most generous of all of the blood makers. Yeah, and it's also because of that, uh, you it's really hard to flip it. So I don't imagine you'll be able to get to the blood uh, caster or the blood bat summoner very often, just based on the other blood cards in the set. But mm-hmm. if you ever can, like it, 
you make your battlefield pretty wide pretty quickly. I man, this card would be so good with cat oven. Yes, but like, do we? I want mean, that again? everything's really good with cat oven, but it's just like so nice. Like, like, like this could see historic play with cat oven because it's so good with it. You get the blood token on every sacrifice that gets you to five pretty quickly. Like this really gives you a clock. And then your blood tokens are also discard outlets to put things like additional cats that you draw into your graveyard. So there's just like a lot of like little synergy things there. This is a two one. So in standard, it does die to spike field hazard. I don't know what like deck this goes in, but I do just like the raw power level of the card. There's like a lot of text you're getting on top of being a two power flyer for two mana. Yeah, I'm I'm really into this card, and I hope if there is ever a deck where you would like want to put eye twitch into it, mm-hmm. you can be instead rewarded with more cards like this, which is generically powerful and also help you do your thing. Yeah, well, I mean, like the black decks, that's a thing that they were it takes forever for those decks to actually like kill you like they kill you by like playing a planeswalker getting it killed playing another planeswalker getting it killed playing blood on the snow getting a planeswalker back is this the one that will finally stick and kill you and it it takes a long time uh maybe the black decks can move away from that a little bit not be blood on the snow decks which are you know you can't beat all runs epiphany with a blood on the snow deck and instead, you can leverage your creatures to deal damage to your opponent instead of just being deadly dispute fodder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving along, I've got Dreadfugue as my number four card in black. Uh, this is a black mana sorcery. Uh, target player reveals their hand. You can choose a card, a non-land card from it with mana value two or less, and that player discards it. Uh, this card also has Cleave. So if you pay two and a black, instead you just pick any card for your hand. From there. Any non-land card. Any non-land, yeah. Uh, this is compares disfavorably to Inquisition of Kozilek because Inquisition of Kozilek's busted. But <laughs> as well, far as the three uh, mana breakpoint, like line in modern, is so important in a like cascade heavy format, and well, even like, in the like, standard, for instance, yeah, yeah. Which is, certainly where the bulk standard, of those cards. Sees. Everything we've been saying is like the three mana cards are the good cards in every deck, so. Yeah, this is, like, if you want to get rid of early interaction or something, and that's important to your deck, I think Dreadfugue is good. And it does scale much better than Inquisition late game, because you can just pay three mana for it when you've got it lying around and get card, get whatever you want out of their hand they've been holding on to. I think that it actually does have a lot of value. Yeah. Uh, underappreciated, because three mana targeted discard spells are just not very good. But this one gets a little bit of a pass, because you can actually cast it early. Right, you can cast it against the aggressive deck and take their two drop, and that's fine. Yeah, Luminar Gasprint, whew, get out of here. Yeah. Uh, I think this will also see some Pioneer play, because in Pioneer you don't have access to Inquisition of Kozilek, and you might want Thought Seizes 5 and 6. Yeah, fair. God, it's so weird that Inquisition is not in Pioneer, but Thought Seizes. Like, come on. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't explain it to you. I guess the main thing is what set can you put inquisition of kozilek into that's a very specific reference battle for zendikar yeah well they did everything they could to make that set just kind of <laughs> atrocious fair <laughs> number three is Felstinger. uh this is an innocuous little uncommon i really like mm-hmm. uh, it's a 2b3 to zombie scorpion with death touch uh, it also has exploit so you can sack a creature when it enters battlefield and when it exploits a creature, target player draws two and loses two life. 
So this is a sign in blood style card, but unlike the previous exploit card we talked about, the uh, the amalgam, mm-hmm. I think this card's significantly better because it's a a kind of cheap and <laughs> also in the right color. Yeah, like this is the color of I want to sacrifice my stuff and I don't have a lot of card draw available to me. Yep. And you typically, if you're trying to play this type of card, you're getting paid for sacrificing stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think you'll often sacrifice the Felstinger itself to draw two. Yeah, that's a real body. It's but you can, which is nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in black, just like perfectly playable cards that go great with this are uh, Shambligast. I guess iTwitch isn't perfectly playable, but, you know, it's it's okay. It's okay. But Shambligast, iTwitch, and Jadar... In, in particular, I think it's just like a, a beautiful curve with this thing. And the Vuldaren Bloodcaster. Like, you don't want to sacrifice the Bloodcaster, but in that kind of shell, you're mm. getting paid off of the blood token as well. Yeah. Not if you sacrifice a decayed creature, though, unfortunately. A decayed True. zombie. Yeah. But... I, the only limiter that card has is token. Like, you don't get blood off tokens. Because, you know, tokens don't bleed. I mean, it kind of, a decayed zombie wouldn't bleed, but certainly most token creatures, a human token would bleed. Yep. It's a lot of it's a big flavor fail that the wedding invitation creates humans for the vampires to feed on, but <laughs> you cannot collect blood from those human tokens. Well, I guess the blood has already been collected from them. <laughs> it's too late for them. The next card, my number two, is a card I think is good, but I actually have no idea. Uh, it's concealing curtains. Mm-hmm. This is a wall. It's an O four with defender. For one. Yeah. For just a black mana. You get that Kraken Hatchling value. And that, and that's it. Well, it has an ability. It's 2v to transform it, but you can only activate it as a sorcery. On the flip side, it's a 3-4 menace. And when you transform it, your opponent, target opponent reveals their hand. You can choose an online card from it. And if you do, that player discards a card, that card, then draws a card. So it's a really cheap defensive card that flips into this uh, Vendillion click-esque effect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I mentioned, but you can only transform as a sorcery, so you can't do, like, the draw step thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, this is my number one black card. I think this card is just really good, and I I think, like, I would basically guarantee that it sees a ton of standard play, if nothing else. It reads like a perfect standard card to me. Like, it's just never bad against anybody. It's also very big on the backside. Like, yeah. <laughs> being a 3-4 with Menace, it just gains that ability. That's, right. That's pretty strong. Like, you weren't doing anything on turn one anyways, so you cast this. If they're playing white and attacking you, this blocks so much stuff. If they're not, then, you know, you didn't really care that much about your turn one. You get to your turn three, you make it a 3-4 menace, you look at their hand, and then you get to play accordingly. And take their best card if you want right. to. Right, right, right. Just... And you'll get that, you'll get that moment where you look at their hand be like, all right, all that's good, and your opponent I... knows they've lost. I can beat that. Good luck. <laughs> Usually that's on the, like, turn six flip yeah, or so, yeah. but yeah. I mean, you'll draw two of these. Like, you can't flip them both on turn two. Right. Or turn three, excuse me. But yeah, j- this is just, like, a very playable one-mana card that gives you, like, a ton more value out of I love this card. I think this card's fantastic. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this card. I just, it, it's weird because black is in such a, an odd spot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it's playable. I hope it. I hope we can get to a spot where black gets more stuff. Because there's actually a lot of cool black stuff that we've been talking about. Yeah. And I hope 
it gets its potential realized. I mean, right. So, like, definitely the, ah, there's just no good black deck is a thing that could hold back a good black card. I think this is just a good enough black card that it's, like... Make a black deck? Make some black decks. Yeah. Like, this okay. solves a lot of the problems. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about my number one card, because mm-hmm. I actually think it's quite good. It's Soren the Mirthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a 2BB for loyalty Soren Planeswalker. Uh, it's plus one is look at the top card of your library. You can reveal it and put it into your hand, and you lose that much life. Life equal to its mana value. Uh, it's minus two is make a 2-3 black vampire creature token with flying and lifelink. And it's minus seven is you deal 13 to anything and you gain 13 life. This is just a generically powerful planeswalker. Which we don't have very many of. Yeah, it, it's probably just the most generically playable planeswalker in standard upon its print. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's neat. Like, I, I like Lolf a lot because it provides a bunch of bodies and is a neat card. But dropping the cost down to four mana and being able to play that game earlier is really nice especially with planeswalkers that just scale their effects over time so well mm-hmm. and i think the making a two three black vampire with a lifelink goes a long way towards i guess a fueling his first ability where you damage yourself to draw cards yeah. but also just like stabilizing a lot of boards mm-hmm. it is a pretty big it's a bigger token with more keyword abilities than we usually get from planeswalkers that do this kind of stuff i do have soren as only my number five because i think that like the way that it matches up against creatures in play is often going to be like like i don't know that you could ever can cast this in a game against mono green i i agree with that but i think the way i see black decks constructed is they're just they want to have creatures and do stuff with them and soren mm-hmm. is quite good with like making bodies and just yeah. having creatures in play. Yep, yep. I I can see that. I think it's tough to do it in any sort of like just mid-rangey like spell-based deck, but yeah, if if you are just like a bunch of foddery creatures that can block for it while it like gives you value and your life total doesn't go down so fast because you're just like chumping and deadly disputing and whatever like uh yeah, I I I think that I I could see it. But it is a little bit more specific in its requirements than just like, I don't know, like a Chandra Torch of Defiance or yeah, an Ally of Zendikar this, or something. This card like is that. not like your your windmill slam. I'm just going to take over the game now. Kind of planeswalker, which right. thank goodness I'm so glad we don't get this anymore. Yeah, exactly. but this is just like a good game piece you can put in. I think whatever black deck you want, but it's obviously better in some than others. Yeah, I mean you you want to be more creature heavy so that you create more spots for mm-hmm. casting soren because you could never just cast soren against mono green you know even if they only have like one creature in play they just like attack it cast, give a trample or whatever yeah or cast a blizzard brawl on your vampire token or whatever yeah 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 no i i like soren i think it's just a, a good card and it, it can see Maybe not generically like Chandra Torture Defiance play, but I do think it has a, a really good spot in a bunch of black decks. Sure. Uh, so Soren is my number five. My list is almost identical to yours, just in a different order. Uh, Soren's my number five. Dreadfugue is my number four. Uh, my number three, though, is Bloodvile Purveyor. This is two black black for a five six flying trample vampire. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, that player creates a blood token. 
Whenever Blood Vial Purveyor attacks, it gets plus one plus O oh until end of turn for each blood token defending player controls. It has been eroded already, so uh, it only gets pumped until end of turn. This thing's huge. It's so big. Yeah, it's really large. I I had this as an honorable mention if you weren't going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because I, I did have this on my list initially. It is tough to kill with the red removal spells. It is tough to blizzard brawl. Uh, it just, like, I think maybe appropriately sized. And there will be decks where it's just like, yeah, I want to slam this on turn four against multiple different decks in the format. They can get blood tokens, but hopefully that doesn't really matter. They can put some mana into looting, and maybe that allows them to find an answer to this if they're playing, you know, Skyclave Apparitions or whatever. But I think you're generally playing this against decks that don't have good answers to it, or it, like, shuts down their attacks really badly, and even if they loot, like, you're getting somewhere while they do that. This is kind of like the Desecration Demon deal, right? Mm -hmm. Where yeah. it's got a downside, but it's not as good as the upside. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's just really big. And if they, like, cast a bunch of spells but don't get this out of play, and then you just, like, attack you for eight, attack you for eight, <laughs> then they die really quickly. Yeah, the fact that this is, like, a 6-6-4 six, six, four, four at base value. I mean, it's a 5-6, but the chances of them not casting a spell is Well, slim. you're going to win that game anyways. <laughs> yeah, good job. <laughs> that's, some, that's a really good stat line. All right, shall we move on to the red cards? Oh, did you want to sell the rest of your, your top three? Oh, right, right. They're just cards that you already said, so I wasn't thinking about them. Uh, it's Voldar and Bloodcaster, and my number one is Concealing Curtains. Uh, my red cards, we get a Braid as a reprint. That's just going to see a bunch of play. Not as much, because there aren't a bunch of like free, like, oh, wow, my I can't believe my opponent is playing a four-mana artifact in this Abraid format, and also uh, Heart of Kirin doesn't exist, but... A brain I mean, is still quite good. I'll tell you, it's going to feel really good when my opponent plays Valkamira, the back half of Redain, and I just <laughs> get just... to upgrade it. It feels really good to Prismari command that one when they think they've got you with it. Yeah, because so. it, it bubbles birds and it makes Ashmouth Dragon not as good, mm -hmm. but then you can just upgrade it, and whew, I can't wait for that to happen. In Historic, I've had people, because, you know, I play a lot of Niv-Mizzet, Per run in historic so i've definitely had people be like here's valkmira maybe you like can't kill me my, my creatures through this and i'm just like i'm playing a lot of prismari commands this is gonna go really <laughs> badly but yes a braid available quite good my number five red card is it's a one drop kessig wolf rider one red mana for a one two human knight with menace two and a red tap exile three cards from your graveyard create a three two red wolf creature token I mean, this is, like, similar but not as awful as the Robber of the Rich problem, where it was a mythic rare 2-2 two, two <laughs> for 2 with haste. End of story. Uh, this is a rare 1-mana one 1-2 one menace. Has another ability. I don't know how relevant that ability is. I mean, at least Robber of the Rich had reach. <laughs> yeah, at least Robber of the Rich had really one of the most gotcha reaches of all time on that card i saw i can't remember it was some tournament like some professional tournament in the mpl was playing in i just mm -hmm. saw robert the rich like two robert the rich double block a flying creature and the opponent <laughs> clearly had no idea that could happen <laughs> i think i remember that but i don't remember the context yeah yeah it's like a half remembered i know i saw it i just can't remember the scenario <laughs> 
But this one, you know, if there is a red deck, a one mana, one power menace creature might be the thing. And then if the game goes a little bit and you do make a three, two or, or two, three twos out of it, like that's possible. There is no red deck right now, but you need a one mana guy to make the red deck. So this might be it. So interestingly enough, we'll get to my list, but I, I have a different red mana creature mm -hmm. on my, my list. This is not Kessig Wolf Rider. Okay. Uh, my number four is Volatile Arsonist. This is three red red for a four four Menace Haste. Whenever it attacks, it deals one damage to each of up to one target creature, up to one target player, and or up to one target Planeswalker. Uh, I need to get the backside of this thing. The backside is a Menace Haste, and it deals two damage to those things instead when it attacks. And it's a six That's five, a right? It's a five five. Oh, it's a five five. Yeah. Okay. Goldspan Dragon is very much in the five mana haste threat slot, but I think that there are certain types of decks that this is better in. Definitely doesn't have the immediate value of like, even if you kill this, I at least get a treasure out of it, but you find your spot where it's safe to cast it. It does a ton of damage, and especially in a deck that is capable of making it night beforehand, if this ever comes down on like turn five or six on the nighttime side and just like hits for seven and maybe kills a creature that's a lot so I, I think there's some space for this thing yeah it's i think one of those cards that's going to live in the shadow of a dragon mm -hmm. for its lifetime uh which is unfortunate because this card does have a lot of text on it it's just well statted and a creature with haste which is always something you look for look out for I mean, it's pretty unblockable, too. You know, Menace is, in Constructed, is, like, pretty close to unblockable. Eh, I, there's a lot of Asika's Chariots that just, like, double blocks this card. You can't get rid of the token. Which is why I think the Night Half is really good. Yeah, yeah. But, like, then you have the problem with you've got to find a werewolf to put into play before this thing comes down and have it nighttime. Which is sure. another hurdle, I think. Yeah, it's tough. I, like... If we had like some really good flash creature for those decks, then I would be a little more excited about this cut because this card makes it so important to make it night. But I don't know that we have that ability. Yeah. I mean, maybe with like Torvald making it night just because you have a bunch of werewolves in play, but or Tovalar, right? Tovalar, yeah. Tovalar, okay. yeah. My number three. Although the more that I think about this, the more I'm like, no, wait, this isn't it. So I have Ancestral Anger. This is one red mana for a sorcery. Target creature gains trample and gets plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is one plus the number of cards named Ancestral Anger in your graveyard. Draw a card. So in some ways, it's like, oh, this is crash through with upside and potentially can be worth like a lot of damage if you really high roll with like chaining these. But on the other side of it, it's also crash through that gets countered by solitude, so you don't even draw your card. So I don't know. Maybe just not playable in like a prowess deck or yeah. you know, you can't get a Phoenix back with it if you don't have a creature in play, and that might just kill it. So eh. Yeah, the, the targeting restriction I think kills this card, unfortunately. Yeah, that's tough. But like when it works, it's like real you know, it's like needle like free damage on top of your thing, you know? But yeah, I don't know if, if it works if this very were often. Like a format where you could do thermo alchemist type of red decks mm -hmm. I, this is a card i could see in that like you obviously don't target the thermo alchemist but 
being able to get an extra damage or like a cast trigger while you're doing your creature thing and drawing cards mm -hmm. i think is really good i just don't think that deck exists right now probably not we do have thermo alchemist though yeah i know it's legal i know yeah. <laughs> uh my number two is reckless impulse this is one in a red for a sorcery exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn you may play those cards this is kind of a you know, walking a middle ground between light up the stage and expressive iteration. I just think this does enough prowessy stuff and is way better. You know, like in particular, like a mono red Phoenix deck would be really into this card. You get to do it pre-combat, unlike light up the stage. I mean, it, it costs two and never costs one mana, but it doesn't cost three mana to do it pre-combat and get your prowess triggers off of it. And, you know, mono red prowess making appearances this could be a thing in that it's just like pretty efficient and requires zero hoops whatsoever to do i think this card gets this is a weird playability curve to me mm -hmm. where i think it's good in historic because mm -hmm. of the phoenix stuff but i don't think it's good in standard because like like what red deck are you playing this kind of thing in express variations also in that format well you're it's definitely playing this card side. in the thermo alchemist deck yeah, sure. You're definitely playing in the Thermalchemist deck that we've discussed does not exist. <laughs> and I also think it's like pretty bad in older formats because like in Prowess, I think Underworld Breach is just a lot better in this card. I mean, this is a little bit easier to, you know, you turn yeah, you can, this thing. Yeah, you can you know? play this on turn three, but I mean, you're, this is also a deck that can play light up the stage and is happy doing it a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you want to load up on that type of effect. I, I don't know, but this is two cards for two mana in a slightly weird way, but like Knight's Whisper still sees legacy play, so. There's a huge difference between this oh, I like, impulse draw and the actual draw, which is why I don't like comparing it to Knight's Whisper or the, what's the Ixalan blue card that draws to you? Char the Charter Course, I think. Charter Course, yeah. Yeah. Like the, those cards have these little conditions but they put cards in your hand and you can just do it on that turn and it's right. fine. Like, you well, yeah, you can cast Knight's Whisper on turn two. You can't cast this spell on turn two. Like there's definitely a gap. Yeah. And that's, that's where I think this card fails for me is it just like costs too much and is a little too situational. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of the cards that impulse draw do a better job. Like if you're in standard and you're playing a red deck, I think Chandra, the dress to kill is mm -hmm. way better than this card. In a spot where, like, I don't think you even want to bother with Reckless Impulse. Well, unless and, you're like, playing Thermal. Okay. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> uh, speaking of Chandra Dress to Kill, that is my number one red card. Uh, one red red for a three loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, add a red. Chandra deals one damage up to one target player or Planeswalker. Plus one, exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. Minus seven. Exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn. You get an emblem with whenever you cast a red spell, this emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of amount of mana spent to cast that spell. This is just a three mana planeswalker that does some pretty assertive stuff, gives you mana, and builds towards an ultimate that wins the game starting on turn three. If, you know, if you're on the play and you play this on an empty board, like this is a real threat that does stuff on its way to ticking you know it's a ticking bomb that they have to deal with and is also giving you resources along the way to me i was pretty low on this card but then i remembered uh koth of the hammer 
mm-hmm. like a really really good planeswalker but was only you could only ever play it in mono red that was the only deck you could ever play cough in yeah and i think chandra is very similar to cough i, I think cough's like way more powerful but it's also more <laughs> mana more expensive yeah so like having a little cough and a mostly planeswalkers are powered down standard format now i think is actually really good as long as there's a red deck you can actually play Chandra in. Yes, that is absolutely the requirement. I don't think you necessarily need to be mono red. Like, I could see this in a heavy red, like, blue red deck that's also running, like, expressive iteration. A lot of its blue cards are also red cards. Also red cards, sure. Um, as long as you're not trying to counter spells, probably. But because I don't you know, think there's any ionizes in the format. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, as long as you're... you're, you're you're not going to want to have too many blue cards or too many reactive cards generally in your deck. It is really weird how all of its abilities are like mini abilities of Chandra Torch of Defiance. It's just like directly cribbed from that card. Yeah, you just chop off the ability that makes it really useful. The removal spell. Yeah, the removal slash. spell one, yes. You know, she incentivizes you to play some one-mana removal spells, so she does a thing on her turn, but that does require those to line up well and be playable for that to be part of the strategy. But I think, you know, a lot of times it's just going to be my strat is end of turn, abrade your creature, play Chandra Dress to Kill on hopefully an empty board, go from there. Yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable. I, I, I think this Planeswalker is really powerful. Mm-hmm. As long as you can actually get Milo Daughter abilities, which I think is the hard part. Yes. Like, I mean, once you've built the Chandra deck, you're good to go. It's just, I think, getting there is the hard part. Right. Like, the card needing to be red is, you know, Chandra, Torch of Defiance, like, a lot of times missed on her plus one. Like, that was a big part of it. And this one, you don't even get the, like, damage to make up for it when you miss it. And so probably you're kind of hoping that the mana part is pretty relevant and you know turn three chandra into turn four goldspan dragon like you can keep dealing with it like whatever big things i'm playing with this every turn but chandra is ticking up like that is a neat dynamic to have and the emblem's also like kind of game ending not immediately <laughs> game ending but the fact that you have an emblem that now adds damage to all your spells to any target is yeah. really good <laughs> Yeah, that'll do it. On a three mana planeswalker. Like three mana planeswalkers often do not get game ending ultimates. They just right. don't. Right. Like that's that was the thing that they did to all of the War of the Spark planeswalkers to try to make them not run away cards. It, and, and it and even like Ashiok or whatever, that's not a game winning ultimate. It just exiles whatever hand they have left in their graveyard. Mm-hmm. Like Ashiok Nightmare Weaver, the three mana one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think this card's pretty good. It's three mana. It's a planeswalker. Like the bar is kind of low, and I think she meets it. Uh, my list is similar in some ways to you, different than others. Uh, my number five is Keswick Wolfrider, the 1-2 with Menace, just because mm-hmm. it's a red one drop. Uh, my number four is a weird one. I have Voltaic Visionary. Mm-hmm. This is a 1 in a red 3-1 human wizard uh, with a tap ability of it deals 2 damage to you and you exile the top card of your library. You can play that card this turn, but you can only activate this ability as a sorcery. And then when you play a card that you've exiled with her, you transform her into Volt Charged Berserker, which is just a 4-3 that can't block. So it just upgrades its stats, basically. This is another deck that goes in the mythical red deck that might exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a, what's the 3-1 for 2? Blade the Sixth Pride type of stat line. Which is reasonable. 
but they do get blanked on the battlefield pretty quickly, which is why I right. like this card, because you can then turn it into an additional card. Like, it draws a card. Mm-hmm. And then it flips into something that isn't probably blanked on the battlefield by, like, a sapling or whatever. Yeah. No, this card went in and out of my list. I, I am totally into it. I hope that it's good. The spike field hazard problem with it is, like, pretty real. But, uh, you know, when it works and it's just, like, a two-mana 4-3-E like suspend basically that draws a card that's a lot it does hit you which kind of sucks like it does two damage to you which i don't like i don't know if that's necessary for this card (laughs) if the mythical red deck is a real thing and then you're playing mirrors like this is the first card you sideboard out for sure yeah yeah Uh, not that great in combat hurts you i'm not interested in it yeah pretty bad against mono white like probably very bad against mono white probably because you can't even you can't even use this as instant speed so you can't like trick them mm-hmm. with it it also doesn't untap when you activate it like a lot of right. the transform cards like untap themselves but when right you're giving up a whole turn of attacking with it yeah so it's something to keep in mind it's got downsides but i do think it also has some upsides if like you can play an aggressive red deck uh my number three is the other red one drop <laughs> i like it's voldaren epicure mm-hmm. this is a red mana one one vampire when it enters the battlefield, it deals one to each opponent, and then you make a blood token. Yeah, actually, I like kind of missed this card and only saw it like a day ago, but I, I, I am kind of into this. This is just a generic, tiny little Vyashino Pyromancer mm-hmm. that also gives you card selection, which I think actually makes it a lot better than Kessig Wolfrider, which is kind of just a one-two menace as like a fine stat line, mm-hmm. uh, but doesn't really do anything else until much, much later in the game. Mm-hmm. I think this card does a lot more early like it comes down deals its damage immediately and then gives you a rummage so like you know those games where you're running out of steam and you don't want to draw your one drops but you will because you're an early game deck drawing this is actually not that bad because you can immediately cycle another card yeah i mean the like the one damage each opponent thing is like kind of silly because like that just means it's a raging goblin, but I guess that damage is unblockable later in the game, so it's yeah. slightly better than raging goblin. It's slightly better than raging goblin. I am reminded of, I think it was Ari who tweeted like the volcanic dragon with the dragon that deals four to your opponent. That one is strictly better than volcanic dragon for well, for all intents and purposes, but it's like so much less cool than like putting a dragon into play and attacking. sideways attacking your opponent. Which, you know, less of that effect, like, you don't feel quite as cool when you play a Raging Goblin and hit your opponent for one, but... uh... A lot of that is also, like, physical versus digital. Like, it feels so much better to play uh, Robber of the Rich sideways from your hand than it does to play, like, Fire Sheet and Fire Answer. Yes, yeah. Um, But yeah, and and I also, I kind of like this, if you're going to build your, like, Historic Madness deck to be as aggressive as possible... You know, this is great. It's a one drop, deals damage to your opponent, gives you a rummage to dump something into your graveyard, get a madness outlet. Uh, just a nice one drop for that deck. So I should know the name of this, but I don't. What's the Shadows of Ranistrad? Sacrifice this vampire. It's like a 1-1 one, with one menace. You sack it and discard a card to draw a card. Oh, Insolent Neonate. Yeah, Insolent Neonate. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like, is that card in Historic? It is not. Okay, so this was basically taking this spot until Neonate comes up, shows up. Oh, it is legal in Historic. I'm sorry. It was oh. in Jumpstart Historic Horizons. How would okay. I possibly know that? 
I mean, I asked you because you're in charge of Storg, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, apparently it's playable. I think this card's like almost better than Insolent Neonate, though. Really? Yeah, you get to keep the body the in body. play when okay. you loot. It does cost an extra mana, but I guess you, you pay for it. Like, by yeah. The body. I like this card. I think it just does a lot of small little things that will add up to like way more than what you're paying for. I, I, I agree. It's also like... This is a card that's two permanents for one mana, like generally, like this is certainly no Thraven Inspector, but it's in that category at least. Yeah. My other my other two red cards are very simple. I have a Braid and then Chandra Just to Kill sure. as my number one. Yep. In the Solid hopes choices. that red decks exist. I also hope that they exist. I, I think that they are an important inclusion in the format that would make a difference in like what you're allowed to do. All right, green. And we're reaching like the end of my Crimson Vow peak because I did not find a lot of green cards that I enjoyed. Uh, sure. Shout out to Splendid Reclamation, which is a reprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like four mana. All the lands in your graveyard are now on the battlefield. <laughs> Card I really liked brewing with while it was in standard and was just very bad. Yeah, Looking forward to brewing that, with it again. <laughs> it's, it is a, an incredible like quest card to have in a set i think it's a it's a beautiful design there's just so much upside in there and it's not that good so it's a good design my favorite thing about it being a reprint is that it's got like rens ran on it so the idea is you play it with like her and mulch but those cards so bad with those don't work with it (laughs) (laughs) it's like really hard to dump lands into your graveyard yeah the easiest way to put lands into play is with ren seven like her zero like yeah. after you've mulched a bunch. Yeah, I think like Ren and Seven largely just does the splendid reclamation thing that you're hoping to do, but just for free and also is good in a million other spots. Yeah. Well, speaking of like my number five for green is the card mulch. Mm-hmm. Uh, a reprint from like Weatherlight or whatever. It was in the first Dinner <laughs> Strat too. Uh, it's one in a G sorcery, reveal the top card, four cards of your library, and you get all the lands and everything else goes to the graveyard. You know, mulch. Mulch, yeah. This card is just kind of a staple for value-oriented graveyard decks. <laughs> like, you, you play it because you want to put stuff in your graveyard, but being able to draw lands off of it lets you keep doing the stuff. Because you're doing expensive stuff with your yeah. graveyard stuff. Like, the, yeah. the thing that it was really sick with was... On burial rights mm-hmm. so that like that's the classic use case for mulch and the lands are a lot better now because they actually do things like you can play with the creature lands and they're quite strong maybe not the green one per se because that's a little the weakest one i think but the, the creature lands themselves are quite good yeah yeah that's true let's like whenever my opponent plus one's there red and seven i'm just like don't hit a faceless haven like i can deal with all the other stuff but please don't hit a faceless haven here yeah yeah man creature lands but i don't i have a ton to say about mulch other than that it's just like a good piece to have in the format i really love inclusions like this just in sets in general yeah it just awesome in with flashback cards and hopefully there will be some use for that also i don't know if i've ever seen the the stronghold is the original set and it's rebecca gay art and it's really good and i don't have these and that's weird because like i've cast a bunch of mulches so i see i want to pick these up i do have these they're somewhere in my box of 
But man, I hope this is playable in modern one day box. <laughs> well, but now you can move it to the standard box. Yeah. If we ever get to play if standard. If I ever get again. to play standard. And by and I get to play mulch. Like you're asking for a couple steps here. I know, I know. But it's but way hope... closer to playability in standard than in modern. Oh yeah, for sure. But now I can play it in Pioneer. <laughs> That's true. I uh, I mean Pioneer, there's some there's some real graveyard stuff to be done in Pioneer, so yeah, I was playing, or I have played Grizzly Salvage before to yeah. enable graveyard stuff. And Mulch is one less color. Although you often are black in the decks that yeah, want to you, cast. Yeah, yeah. But now, in Historic 2, now we have access to the, the suite of Mulch, Grizzly Salvage, Unburial Rights. And that is a suite that I have Gonna get behind. Know, a long-term love affair with. So, uh, Moving on from Mulch, I've got Reclusive Taxidermist. Uh, this is a weird little card. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> a one in a G, one two, human druid. Classic stat line, really yeah. what you want. Yep. Uh, you can tap it for a mana of any color. Mm -hmm. So that that's paradise druid status right there. But if you have four more creature cards in your graveyard, it gets plus three, plus two. So now it's a four, four. That's a little werebear callback. A little yeah. bit. So I like this card a lot, a lot more than Tangled Vorhedron sure and i know decks are still playing that card i mean tangle floor Eadron is also a land on the other side it is but like in mono green you're almost never playing floor Eadron as land mm -hmm. like compared like you're playing floor Eadron as a land later in the game where this card it would be a four four yeah so i think it's just better in that that kind of style of deck and i'm sure like ramp decks or whatever that are playing tangle floor Eadron would not play reclusive taxidermist except that it provides mana of any color instead of just a green mana, which mm -hmm. actually matters a lot. That's actually a pretty big deal, yeah. I think this is going to be very rarely a 4-4. Like, Fair, four yeah. creature cards is just an enormous number of creature cards. But make a mana Unless of any color. mulching. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, make a mana of any color in the mulch deck is, like, probably pretty good. Because those every time you build a mulch deck, you're just like, all right, I want these cards... Crap! I need a card from this third color. Man, I really need a card from this fourth color in it, don't I? Like every time, somehow mulch decks are four color decks. Well, at least you get a bunch of lands, so you know. Eh? Yep. Just draw yeah. the right order. It's fine as long as I have my green mana. I'll draw my mulch. That'll get me there. Yeah, Reclusive Caxervis is a, a neat little card. Like I think it's not that great, but it does, I think, suit the role that a lot of other mana dorks are setting in right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ability to dodge uh, spy field hazard that Tangle Forager just doesn't is, yeah. is pretty nice. Yeah, I I wonder if people will finally stop playing Prosperous Innkeepers quite so much. Um, maybe? I don't know. People don't just know. love casting Prosperous Innkeeper into a 4-drop. It's like a main thing that a certain segment of like standard players on Arena just like are all about and uh maybe we could stop doing that quite so much just put some taxidermists in your deck instead <laughs> i also like have all of these turns where my opponents like use it to multi-spell so then at the end of the day they end up with like you know on turn three they like they cast prosperous innkeeper and then they cast another two, another drop, two drop and gain a life it's just like, I think you threw away a card there, my friend. I'm playing All Runs Epiphany in my deck. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, Prosperous Imkeeper is, I think, just 
at best when you're actually using its life gain ability rather than the treasure thing like the right bullets of citadel style decks mm-hmm as a mana dork i think it is severely lacking it's not the best thing uh my number three is ulvenwald oddity this is actually one of the best cube cards for this set in my opinion but Hmm. it's a 2gg 4-4 creature beast with trample and haste 2gg 4-4 trample haste that's all it is on the front side (laughs) (laughs) you can pay seven mana 5gg to transform it into Ulvenwald Behemoth, which is now an 8-8, still with Trample and Haste. It gives all your other creatures Trample and Haste and plus one, plus one. I love the, like, plus one, plus one on the, Just, like, the yeah, a just teeny in case, little, like, you know? just a cherry on top at the end. We'll give, them, we'll give them a little bonus. We'll give them plus one, plus one for when you have your 8-8 Trample Haste in play. I, I like this thing because it reminds me of the Eldrazi werewolves. Mm-hmm. Because it kind of looks like it's got that going on in the background. Also, it's just really big. It's a really good ramp payoff. I don't think this card... It's got a lot of comparisons to Questing Beast. And while I do think this card is a lot better than Questing Beast in like very specific contexts where you're trying to ramp and you have access to a lot of mana, I think generically the ability of Questing Beast to play offense and defense with Vigilance mattered so much more than like not having trample or whatever yeah i mean this is generally going to be a worse card than questing beast in most situations but i think that there's a lot of room to be you know it's a card that we just like was legendary and we stuck four of in a lot of decks so yeah that's true and this is not that far like if if you're interested in just killing people this card's good at it Mm -hmm. it cruises seeker's chariot (laughs) <laughs> well hold up that's not the ideal way to do that but it does yeah. uh-huh and then it gives your cats plus one plus one yeah when you mulched into seven mana or goldspan dragon into you know if you're playing sure, like sure, a very cool. you're you're all haste creatures gruel deck yeah you can give them extra haste yep so much haste yeah uh Solid front side that is great at challenging planeswalkers is a much better like haste sideboard threat than uh frog hemoth. Yeah. And not a then, cool creature type, but yeah, it is much no. better. No. Oh boy, they've been printing a lot of frogs lately. There's like several frogs. There's a frog lord in this. Yeah. And it does like weird frog stuff. It's great. It's kinda it's kinda garbage, but Oh no, it's not good, but it's like a four mana three three or something. Like but yeah, this card totally acceptable on the front side for various applications and then it's got upside when you just like flood out or the game goes long and it's just a monster uh, my number two for green is kind of speculative i'm not quite sure how to evaluate it i mostly put it up here on stats and mm-hmm. this is cemetery prowler mm-hmm. it's a 1gg 3-4 with vigilance so it's absolutely gigantic for a three mana green creature it's got that endurance stat line but vigilance is out of reach uh, and now, no it, flash too, which is a pretty big well, part okay. of it. Yeah, flash is insane. Let Let's me get, let me get that dragon's rage channeler right right quick. So when he enters the battlefield or attacks, you exile a card from your grave. Exile a card from a graveyard. So either player's graveyard doesn't matter. And spells you cast cost one less for each card type they share with cards exiled by cemetery prowler so you can't like exile three creatures and make all your creatures cost three less it'll mm-hmm. only still be one less 
but you can make a lot of your spells cheaper if this card sticks around on the battlefield. I think that's not as important as just how big it is, because mm-hmm. I know people were playing uh, like Primal Adversary and stuff like that in Mono Green just because they needed a, a three-drop body. Yeah, and this and, is just your yeah your ninth three-drop or whatever. Right, like it's another option if you want some incidental graveyard hate if you're like cutting your frog hemets for the card we just talked about yeah elven wild oddity yeah i i mean certainly the like dream to itchy and like green is just absolutely like the fifth best color at this so you know probably not not great but exile an artifact creature with it and then all of the <laughs> artifact creatures cost two mana less and there's probably some like weird combos you can do with that are there any green artifact creatures other than the reaper king and verderous girl <laughs> well they don't need to be green it's just like why is your deck green like <laughs> yeah this doesn't that's fair seem... that's fair like, I want to play Emery with my artifact creatures. I want, like, Bomat Courier as one of my artifact creatures. What am I doing with a double green spell in my deck? But, yeah, like, this card's okay. I do want to, like, call out, though, like, what on earth is this mythic cycle of, like, cards that have cemetery in the name and then they exile a card it's from like a the, graveyard? It's like they... the adversaries, right? They're just like a cycle that could easily be rare, but they're not because, I don't know, arena economy or whatever. Well, there's additional mythics in both of these sets. There's 20 mythics in each of these sets. Yeah, they started up, that up in 15. Yeah. like Strixhaven, I think. Because yeah. the, the Strixhaven had the, the mythic dragon cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think they just like kept doing that. Yeah, and uh, like this sucks a little bit. Like... There's just nothing mythic about these cards. No, they shouldn't be mythic. But like, and it's a whole weird. cycle of like weirdly similar cards. It's just like what a waste of mythic slots. I think we've pretty rapidly approached the uh, Watsi is primarily a business and cares really nothing <laughs> about. Like it cares a lot about making money now. So yeah, and, this... and I I'm very much uh, like I very much ascribe to the Brian G theory that like creating more like arena directly incentivizes them to create more mythic cards because the more mythic cards in a set, the more mythic wild cards you need to craft to make the decks that you want to play. Yeah, it is what it is for what it's worth. I I don't expect this. I expect this trend to continue, but I don't expect the cards to be like, like the adversaries are whatever for the most part. And I think these cards are also whatever for the most part. Yeah. But it it does just kind of suck that like, once again, to play my two mana, two, two haste, I need to, use mythic wild cards to do it yep at least that one's a lot cooler than it is so much cooler that like though the adversaries are like closer to mythic status and in particular the one that's like if i got eight mana this is two goblin dark dwellers like like you can sell me on that one it's cool enough i like the spirit too but Mm. i I could easily see them all being rare and this cycle too it's just like Harsh Mentor was rare, and the red one is, like, a worse Harsh Mentor. <laughs> yeah. I, I think people need to stop getting excited about the red one. That card doesn't do anything. Well, it's you know, it was noticeably absent from both of our lists. So uh, like, that should tell you something. Looks like a target for Spikefield Hazard to me, so. It's also not one-sided. Like, it kills you, too. Yeah. It also, like, I think is hard to get the right card type under it that will actually deal damage to somebody in your red deck yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm done talking about that card i want to yeah, do yeah. my number one green card do it which is ascendant pack leader oh, yeah okay yeah this is green mana two one yeah it's a good little dog 
Good little wolf. <laughs> a little uh, bit of battlefield. Yeah. Enters the battlefield plus almost one counter. If you have a permanent with mana value four or greater. And whenever you cast a spell with mana value four or greater, you put a plus almost one counter on it. Just a good dog. Yeah. Totally fine. I I bet that their green decks will shift back to like, oh, okay, I can like I don't just have to be this lumbering deck that starts on turn two. This does open up, you know, formally Spikefield Hazard did not kill anything in the deck. Now you do want, if they are playing this, you do want to have a Spikefield Hazard in your hand. And that kind of sucks to let that trade for a card. But the games where this doesn't just die to the one mana removal spell that wouldn't kill anything else in your deck, it adds to your clock in a pretty significant way. Also, if you play this on turn one, and then just play like a mana creature like normal by turn four turn five it could just be a four three like yeah. pretty commonly yep which is really good value for a one drop for sure look right and, and that makes it like a good card to have in the mirrors too right it's like mana that i wouldn't have used on anything now goes into making a real threat that trades up a lot on value like that's that's very good yeah i think there's not a lot this is a pretty simple card but it just is good stat line has good effect like it mm-hmm. It just does a thing that we have not had a spot in the format for. Yeah. Uh, so my number five is Cemetery Prowler. I don't know. Yeah, mostly on the body. Maybe it does something. It's like a lot sure. of text. Who knows? <laughs> uh, my number four I'm way more excited about. This is Cultivator Colossus. Four green okay. green. Green for a star star plant beast. It has trample. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. When Cultivator Colossus enters the battlefield, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. If you do, draw a card and repeat this process. So, just to head off a couple of things, this doesn't really work with bounce lands the way that you like really want it to. You don't get to resolve the triggers until like this comes into play trigger is done resolving. So you don't just go infinite with one bounce land. I mean, that's for the best. It's probably not great in as like an alternate primeval titan in amulet although the dream or is in like, any primeval titan deck let's be real right you mostly want to be doing primeval titan in primeval titan decks i mean maybe this is like number five or whatever but it's eh. I, I just man that comes into playability is just so massive like it just converts your lands in hand into lands in play plus cards in hand plus spells in hand if you have cultivator clauses on your list but not mulch i'm going to be very suspicious well mulch was my in parentheses reprint card so like i am oh, excited okay, about mulch okay. and mulch certainly goes into the cultivator colossus reanimator deck or whatever <laughs> uh but like like that's a core that i'm like really pumped about right is like mulching a cultivator colossus into your graveyard and then like reanimating it somehow maybe just with unburial rights in historic but like you can just do so much and then you can just start hard casting all your reanimation targets because you have so many lands in play and you drew all your reanimation targets i don't know the the comes into playability just legitimately is extremely powerful like it just changes where in the game you are at if you put a bunch of lands into play for free and then turn them into spells like now it is no longer the mid game you are playing your end game yeah because we i know you like abbreviated this to make it easier to talk about but it doesn't just convert your lands in hand to like new cards you get to just keep doing that until you're out of lands so by the time this card is done resolving you have all spells in hand right so you know you want to your, your craziest draws with them like the top 10 cards of your library are all lands and then <laughs> you end up with spells after that uh 
but like it kind of can't go badly unless you just don't have any lands in your hand then okay that that then really it can't didn't work out very well it's a cloud can see it's at that oh no it doesn't it doesn't draw a card unless you have a land okay right so it's you do need excess lands in your hand so whether you're mulching or whatever uh ren and seven ren and seven like you definitely want that i, I mean it may be like you know, with Ren and Seven, there's some redundancy there or something like that. I, I don't really know exactly how this is going to work out. Well, with Ren and Seven, you can probably put seven lands into play pretty easily if you want to just Cold Vader Colossus. Yeah, exactly. And just cast this and then all... And then that turns all of your Ren and Seven lands that you didn't put into play... Into actual spells. Into yeah. spells. You That's can you can high. zero one turn, then plus before you play the Cold Vader Colossus to draw some lands and then play the Cold Vader Colossus and turn them all into spells. That That's actually pretty cool. It's yeah. just you need to be able to build a deck that can go that big and also not lose to Epiphany. <laughs> right. And also not that you lose a lot of games or you like keep Ren and Seven in play for multiple turns. Fair, fair, fair. So. But, you know, it, the deck is probably about like continuing to like make gigantic threats that your opponent has to deal with until you like put a Cultivator Colossus in play and then filter all your lands into spells and you just like run them out that way. So I don't know. I, I, I think this is cool. If you do have an amulet in play in a format where you are allowed to have an amulet in play, your lands do untap after you put them into play, and then you get to cast all the spells from your hand. So that's kind of cool, but largely worse than Primeval Titan, I think. They could reprint Amulet of Vigor into Standard at, like, any time. The card is not very <laughs> it good. It is not very good in Standard. <laughs> Absolute bulk rare status, except for in one exact deck. It's got a lot of cachet because of the famous deck or whatever, but yeah, like but before Bounce Lands and that Carews, that card was terrible. <laughs> uh, my number three is Cartographer's Survey. This is three and a green for a sorcery. Look at the top seven cards of your library. Put up to two land cards from among them onto the battlefield tapped. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This is a speculative pick, but if it works out, uh, you know high upside because working out means that it kind of like transforms the way that we're approaching Valakut as a card in modern the numbers like work out pretty well if you cast this you're like over 50 percent to hit a Valakut with it and you're also putting lands into play which is what the deck wants to do so if you're playing four Valakuts that is so like that's pretty neat and maybe that is how maybe that is a good way to do Valakut stuff maybe it's not I don't I don't I don't know but it certainly is a big improvement over the explosive vegetation version of this card. There's a lot more upside to it. Yeah, it it was always a very awkward playing ramp decks. And like the last time explosive vegetation I cast in standard was like the ramp deck with Eldritch Moon. Mm -hmm. And you just had, I don't know, like 20 basics in your deck because you just needed uh, so many basics between right. this pilgrimage right, and right. explosive vegetation and all that stuff. So sometimes you just like didn't have two blue mana some games until you drew explosive vegetation. <laughs> and it was quite awkward at times. And I really like having the ability to just have my vegetation get me actual colors. This not, is pilgrimage. Not force my mana base into such weird spots. This is pilgrimage in particular was just like you gotta play nine basic forests in your deck to play this card. Only nine, please. At, yeah, at least. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> My number two is Ulvenwald Oddity. That is kind of hard to say. My number one is Ascendant Pack Leader. Just fixes a clear hole in the green deck and probably will see plenty of play. 
uh, absolute just grab bag of nonsense for my other category. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> like the multicolored slash uh, whatever else pile is. Because I chose not to include the slow lands on this list because they're obviously the best cards in the set. Mm-hmm. So you just really get the, all right, what's left here? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit of dog water, but my number five is Eruth, Tormented Prophet, one blue red for a 2-4 human wizard. If you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library instead, you may play those cards this turn. I don't know. Who knows if this is a thing, but it does double your card draw, and that's neat. So. This card reminds me of, uh, what's that teamer enchantment? Song of Creation? Song of yeah, Creation. Song of yeah. Creation. It reminds me of that and like Riel and all this stuff where you're like you're doing this engine stuff that's like should seem really good, but you're like not really going anywhere. Right. And it's just But like I want to do it. Impossible I want to, to do pull it. off. Yeah. That's kind of where I fall on a roof. Like I think the card's really sweet. The art's really good. I want to play with the card, but uh it's probably just not gonna get there. I find the regular art of a roof to be quite goofy. When you look at like a big enough, when you look at it in enough detail, the, there's something like just not quite. So I quite like the black and white art, I guess. Yeah, I the black say. and white art is very, very, very good. The demons are just a little bit too goofy. It like sure. bright red, like snarling demons on the 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 regular art because the the. The Innistrad devils just like don't seem that threatening to me. Like they're, they're like weird. They're little... more like imps than actual devils, right? Right. So I and I understand like their whole thing is like tormenting people and stuff, but I don't know. Like let, Sin Prodder they're, is they're for playful. Me. Like that like, the art for Sin Prodder, that's that's a nice one. Sure. Very menacing, very big devil. That's true. But I generally view them and, and certainly like their their cards, like the theming is like the devils are having fun, but like Everybody else is having a real bad time, but it, in my head, it's just like they're just like weird little red guys having fun, so they're less menacing. But the black they're and basic, white art—they're basically Innistrad goblins, yes, maybe a little exactly. more evil than uh, normal goblins. Sure, but black and white art on this card—very, very good. Uh, my number four is Dollhouse of Horrors. This is a five mana artifact with one tap exile a creature card from your graveyard, create a token that's a copy of the exiled card, except it's a zero zero construct artifact in addition to its other types. And it has this creature gets plus one plus one for each construct you control. It gains haste until end of turn, activate only as a sorcery. Clunky, slow, bad in an Ulrin's Epiphany format, but our reanimation options are just like not really there. And so maybe this is kind of how we are doing it. Uh, you don't, obviously, because of the way that it does the power and toughness, it's kind of like God Pharaoh's gift-esque in that, like, the sizing of the creature doesn't matter. You want creatures with, like, with really good abilities. abilities. Yeah. yeah. Put a 1-1 gold spend dragon into play. <laughs> God Pharaoh's gift was really good on, like, Kitesail Freebooter or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because the effect was really good and the body was so small. Yeah. And but, that makes it a 4-4, four, four, right? Yeah. For this for this card, it's kind of like you need a really good effect and you should not rely on the body at all. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, Ari Also, I think this is a card that Upraid destroys. 
like not correct yes. i mean literally also but figuratively as well <laughs> yeah i mean the abrade effect is really real and that makes it tough to rely on something like this uh i mean Ari wrote a whole article like being excited about this card so that's probably worth a look if this is your jam art is fantastic and this is a cool card, but I have a hard time seeing a five mana artifact with an activated ability that costs a mana being a an actual card. If this wasn't sorcery speed gated, I would be far more into it. But mm. it just is for no reason. Yeah, my number three is Angie, made of dishonor. Is that Two... how you say that? Sorry, I don't know. How would I possibly know that? I don't. Like, I don't know. I assume you did your research before you tried to pronounce a magic card. What a weird thing to assume about me. <laughs> I'm insulted. Two black red for a four five legendary vampire. Whenever, God, and there's just all this extraneous text like limiting how many blood tokens it can make, and there's just no reason for it. Whenever she and or one or more other vampires enter the battlefield under your control, create a blood token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Why is there? Why are there so many restrictions on there? It's so weird. But you can get a blood a turn in your vampire's deck with her, basically. Whenever a vampire enters the battlefield. Yes. Two, sacrifice another creature or a blood token. Each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So good for drop for a blood tokeny deck especially if you have a lot of vampires in it the fact that so this is not limited with how many times per turn you can do it you can basically pump all of your mana into draining your opponent and that's a really powerful finisher effect yeah i, I like this card kind of a base rate the mm -hmm. like four mana four five in, in black red yeah <laughs> really big for that kind of <laughs> color combination yeah and it, the finisher costing us so much mana is like kind of un easy but as long as i think you get i've been saying anye because oh know i do not think that's it but all right i'll look it up later i will not do that i know but i will okay uh i i will look it up if you tell me you looked it up and it is anye then that's enough that that will make me look it up but incensed. under no other circumstance <laughs> so i could just lie and then you look it up yes uh, i've well, given you the exploit well, I'm not going to do that, but... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. I don't know. I, this is one of the cards where I wish vampires had more cohesion. Because mm -hmm. it's a really good top end. It's just like, blood doesn't exist. Like, Bloodcaster, again, like the best blood generator. Yeah. Other than, I guess, Blood Vial Purveyor, which gives it to your opponent. And that's kind of it. Like You really you, do have unlimited blood or unlimited like sacrifice if you have the blood cast you know you sacrifice a creature then it makes a blood you sacrifice the blood like you really just are only mana gated for draining your opponent you just get a blaze every turn and i do so i have Voldaren estate on my list which is mm -hmm. a legendary land that makes blood yeah and it but it's very cheap if you have a lot of vampires in play which is honestly kind of the rich gets richer but right if you if you have your vampires and you haven't gotten swept yet like what are we still doing here? Isn't your opponent dead? Yeah, I, I think Anya is perfectly reasonable. <laughs> I I think so too. You will die to that activated ability a lot. You know, like you cast her when you have like six mana, you get one activation. If they don't kill her, then you go to your turn and then you just drain them for six more. Like they're dead. Like that that just will kill them. 
Uh, my number two is Lantern of the Lost, just the latest iteration <laughs> in the long line of one mana graveyard hate artifacts where you just kind of, you know, randomly assign terms from the, the, the bucket of artifact graveyard hate abilities. One mana artifact, when it enters the battlefield, exile target card from a graveyard. One tap, exile Lantern of the Lost, exile all, car exile all cards from all graveyards, then draw a card. So it's the ETB of Soul Guide Lantern with the activated ability <laughs> of Relic of Progenitus adds together to make a card that certain decks are going to want. It is less lurisable than Soul Guide Lantern, but against decks that relic is really good against like living end but i think this is going to be a better relic against most of the decks where you want relic you know if you're playing this against like rakdos and then you're just like you tag their croxa and then it sits there and then until you want to activate it and that's generally going to work out better for you so I, I think this is an option that many like urza saga decks will go to i think yeah it's just like the generic another graveyard card that's got pluses and minuses it's also my number two <laughs> <laughs> nice my number one i went a different direction from you with the lands and honestly a different direction from how i normally go with the lands but uh this is we do our list from the heart there's no rules it's just entirely by feel so my number one is not the cycle though my number one is just storm carved coast just storm carved coast yeah any card that just comes in is like you never have to play frostball snarl again it has my heart so it earns its spot so i like sundown pass if i just had to pick one mm. because it's the perfect land name for like a western set like cowboys yeah. going to the sundown pass <laughs> that's fair this is a pretty good name for an innistrad card so <laughs> i mean whatever i don't really care about innistrad it's nothing special to me but yeah, so that's that's my list. Stormcarved Coast. I will never register Frostboil Snarl again. All right. So, <clears throat> my number five. Voldaren Estate. It's the legendary land. You can tap for colors or tap and pay a life to produce any color of mana, but you can only use it for vampire spells. And you can pay five and tap it to make a blood, but that costs one less for each vampire you control. This is like somehow the second best way to generate blood tokens <laughs> <laughs> i i don't i don't think this card's anything special i just wish there were more ways to do the set mechanic in like a constructed fashion yeah i yeah it's okay it definitely like messes your mana up especially like when you have sideboarded in your removal spells or your hand disruption or whatever and then it's just like oh, i hope i don't draw too many it's also in the states. it's so weird to me that like unclaimed territory is like the base land for this kind of effect right but you're given some leeway because you, you're locked into one creature type cavern of souls gets the additional like your creatures can't be countered which is a, a really relevant ability uh, and this one you can make the blood token but you also have to pay life to access your like colored mana well, why <laughs> <laughs> yeah if it's just for vampires like I mean, it's kind of like on flavor. It's like kind of cute that way, but I don't care how blood's do blood doesn't give me life back. So right. why am I paying life? Yeah, I don't think you should have to. It's only for vampires. Like, it just make it the vampire land. It's fine. Yeah, come on. I do think that like the blood ability is potentially kind of like you end up playing a long game. 
you have a plan, which is like, man, they keep killing my creatures. But if I make blood tokens every turn and then land an Angie and then just like drain them out with it, you know, it's kind of a thing. Okay. I, eh. Eh. My number five. The, yeah, the, yeah. We're, we're at the dregs here. Yes. Uh, number four is Dorothea, Vengeful Victim. It's a white U 4 4 with flying. Uh, when it attacks or blocks, you have to sacrifice it in end of combat. So doesn't stay on the battlefield for very long. It's just like a trades for a creature on defense or gets in for four damage, like a weird Hell's Thunder, which is a card that's probably too old that I shouldn't reference. But anyway, uh, has <laughs> disturb fog but, elemental. If we're really trying to go back as far as possible, I'm, I'm not. It's got disturb for one white and a blue, and then it's an aura that basically turns your cre- turns the creature you enchanted into into a Geister Saint trap, like. Whenever that creature attacks, you make a 4-4 white spirit with flying that's also attacking. And then you sack it in of combat. Again, kind of scraping the barrel here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just big and kind of cheap on both sides. So hopefully you can get some value for it. But I'm I'm not expecting a lot from Dorothea here. Plus, you can exile it to solitude or force of negation. So. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but then you won't disturb. So you got to think about it before yeah, you do that. Yeah, that, that is tough. Yeah, I don't think this card is very good (laughs) (laughs) uh my number three is edgar charmed groom which is a card i actually quite like it just doesn't really fit in the set Mm -hmm. i think uh it's a two white b four four legendary vampire noble uh other it's a vampire lord so all your vampires get plus one plus one and when it dies you return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control and on the other side it's a legendary artifact that makes a 1-1 white and black vampire creature token at the beginning of your upkeep. And once it's done that three times, you transform it back into Edgar. So a very slow, eternal way to get some value. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's really a place for it. I also think that this is generally the kind of thing that like, when your opponent casts it, you're like, I'm kind of glad they spent their whole turn forward their whole turn forward doing on it. that. I mean, this is what i would imagine like would be fine in the ixalan style vampire kind of de- deal because mm-hmm. it's not that different than uh sanctum seeker i think the name of that card was mm-hmm. like it's just a different version of that effect it's also lords are really good if you can swarm and the ixalan deck could swarm this this vampires creatures in standard just can't and mm-hmm. i don't think any vampires will be printed in what kamigawa or I mean, who knows what Capen is up to, but Dominaria has very few vampires. So this is like all we've got. <laughs> and I don't think Edgar's going to get there, even though I do like the card. I think it's quite a cool card. Yeah, it is cool. And the combination of like Lord plus token generator, like there's some neat stuff there. But hard and if you play a see. second copy, you make a sarcophagus immediately. Ooh, it's value right there. That That is really cool, actually. I do like that. Yeah, I don't know. If that I don't know how the flavor bit. works really, because like, where are the vampires popping out of the coffin? Like, isn't it his coffin? But yeah, and then every time it like would flip into Edgar, you just turn it back into the coffin and keep making tokens. <laughs> That's really funny, actually. Yeah, sadly, the, the co- sarcophagus is all, or the coffin is also legendary. So if your first Edgar dies, you, mm. you still have to like pick a coffin. That's tough. So it's not perfect, even though you'd think there could be more than one coffin. It's a very specific coffin. A okay. legendary one. People tell of this coffin. It's, it's in stories all across Markov Manor. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows 
Edgar's coffin. My number two <laughs> yes. is Lantern of the Lost. Great. Yep. Uh, my number one's actually Olivia, Crimson Bride. Okay. I love this card. I just didn't put it on my list because I, I didn't I think it's it a it, really but... cool card mm-hmm. uh, that is really hampered by the presence of fading hope just everywhere in the <laughs> <Yes. form. laughs> So this is a 4BR 3-4 legendary vampire noble with flying and haste. And whenever she attacks, you can return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, tapped and attacking. Uh, that creature gains when you don't control the legendary vampire, you exile it. Exile that creature. So basically, Olivia summons things as she attacks, which attack alongside her. If those things die in combat, she can keep bringing them back every time she attacks. But if they ever get rid of Olivia, all everything she summoned goes with her. Which really, really, really sucks for Fading Hope because you pay six mana. Like, six mana for a haste card that does something is not ideal because it's expensive, but it's not that bad. Like, if you're getting something good enough, it's mm-hmm. fine. The problem is when you pay six mana, they Fading Hope before you get to attack, you're just, you're cold. Yeah. <laughs> like, what have you done? It's a bad spot. So while I do like Olivia, uh, in, especially in the mythical Moultrie animator deck, <laughs> it is a... Uh, probably not gonna have it it's gonna be extremely specific if she ever shows up she also dies to a foretold demon bolt. demon bolt yeah couldn't have given that fifth point of toughness huh watsy yeah i think the sizing is just a little awkward and the mana cost is a little too high and like this is a card that is like perfectly designed to like make me want it. like black red legendary creature with haste that does a reanimation thing you know this is like pretty close to being an invitational card like my invitational card but i think that the numbers to me just don't end up lining up unfortunately yeah that that kind of sums it up it's sweet though like yeah it's so sweet i i want to if you get back a cultivator colossus with it it doesn't matter if they like get rid of the olivia and the cultivator colossus later like you've already done the thing I mean, the problem is they're usually going to get Olivia before that I happens. Know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I like living the dream here. And she just doesn't have any defensive, anything stopping her from getting hit by a spell on your turn. There's just nothing there. So there you is. need to do a lot of work. Yeah, there's there's just nothing. <laughs> I mean, she just like doesn't really have enough toughness to, to, to survive the toughness-based stuff that would target a six-mana creature. Like, yeah and the lands i did not include on my list this time because i thought they're just the best cards in the set yeah yep these lands are fantastic uh we'll be playing them a lot also to follow up on our discussion of a certain black red legendary vampire mm-hmm. i did look up the pronunciation of the name mm-hmm. uh, there's a few different ways to pronounce it it's a, d- a diminutive of the hebrew name anna okay but most of the pronunciations are like inya or anya Hmm. Hmm. But I Go wonder. look it up. <laughs> I mean, I believe you, but that's certainly never ha- not how I've ever heard this name pronounced in the magic context. So I don't know. People just make up their own pronunciations of words, right? That's why we have Ch- or Chandra, which is like not how that name is pronounced in Earth. <laughs> that's definitely true. You just go with what feels right. Whatever is the most comfortable. If people get mad at you because you're correct, you know, 
to change your ways. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't worry about them, or you know, go with the flow. It's all. It's all. It's all about what works. <sighs> all right, are we done? Any final parting thoughts? Any cards you want to call out that we didn't mention? Anything um, like overrated that you want people to stop talking about? The cemetery red card, but we we yes. we've talked cemetery on that. Cemetery red card. Also, dig up. Like, is, do people actually talk that card up? I thought every, it was just like every, the first Gleave card. Every podcast that I've listened to, every so maybe it's you know this is a it is the children who are wrong kind of situation for me. Like maybe I'm not right about this card, but this is the one mana lay of the land that the Cleave cost. It's a four mana. Uh, demonic tutor i i just like i feel like i was listening i thought it was ross and tannin who was like very against this card because it's kind of garbage okay i missed that one i just like can't just a split card of like we already have modal double face lands for this slot in your deck so you can play those this is just like one of those that the flip side of it is diabolic tutor which is just horrible four mana to tutor your deck for a card it's 2021 and also this is a modal double face land that the front side land gets taxed by thalia and then you lose the game if that happens to you so you know don't do this yeah i don't think dig up's very good at all yeah but maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't really see how. I think people will play it. I just don't think it'll be good. Yeah. And part of that is because, like, black green's not very good either. Like, where's your Ishkana? Right. I have, like, good good odds set for this one because it's just, like, what what deck are you possibly playing? Even if this card is fantastic, like, how are you putting it into a deck of magic cards? Like, maybe you go three color, but then you're, like, three color for a Diabolic Tutor, and that seems so bad. <laughs> Well, so you do have a bunch of lay of the lands in your deck to fix your mana. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I don't have anything else I want to talk about. We've been talking for too long. Yeah. Okay. We can we can wrap it. Great. Oh, I want to shout out Cleave though. I think it's I think it gets a bad rap for being hard to read, especially when people are like reading the cards on a podcast and some like ungodly unconventional fashion where there's like reading what the card does symbol for symbol and it's just like just make it simple like come on i mean we did great at it but they ultimately just are modal spells they're either like kicker or split cards depending on how you look at it and like could have just been templated that way and i think it would have been better i don't think that the cleave mechanic communicates enough flavorfully that it's actually worth it no, yeah, anyway. I think it could, I I think I said I don't know if this was on a podcast, but it could have been a Strixhaven, and I would have been like all for it. Mm-hmm. You're just messing with spells, but yeah. like Innistrad, like come on, right? It doesn't like I get that like vampires are violent folks or whatever, and like I guess <laughs> this is trying to, but you're doing it to spells, and that's not communicating the like visceral feel of it to me in a way that I think it's intended to. It's also undercut by the fact that the first spoiled cleave card was dig up so you know which just is a bad card and has atrocious templating compared to the rest of the cleave cards also cleave is a weird name for like it makes sense for what the card does when you look at it like you're taking stuff away Mm -hmm. but not all the cleave cards work like that Mm -hmm. like because some of them like wash away you're actually improving the effect 
Like you, you go from a limited range to a big range. Most like of them countering get a, better when you cleave. Yeah, the but they don't all. Text off, yeah, yeah, right? they don't all get. They don't all work like that. Like wash away goes from narrow application to broad application. Like you're mm-hmm. gaining something. Right. Whereas like dig up is the opposite. No, dig up goes from narrow application to broad application when you pay the cleave cost. Okay, that's true, but I guess it's feels different. Right. And then there's like ones that are just like completely different cards. There's the one that has like that is a Kabira takedown, but then it's an and expel ex- if you pay the cleave the cost. So it's just yeah. like what what are we doing here? Anyway, we, we can we can wrap it up. We're yeah. we're just rambling. I I just like talking about magic cards. It's hard to stop. Uh hopefully people like listening to us talk about magic cards, which I hope so. I assume you do if you stuck around this long. But thank you for listening we do really appreciate your time it means a lot that you're willing to put up with us for two and a half hours or whatever this ends up being if you want to lend us some support please head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast uh if you want to find us on social media i'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter i'm at lee mccleo and look forward to playing some crimson vow so hopefully this is fun i'll be playing a bunch of limited in the next couple of days and yeah should be cool yeah it's like on arena like tomorrow yeah. <laughs> gracious is this podcast ever gonna come out you're gonna be so busy yeah and well tomorrow's a holiday so i'm not working oh do you have tomorrow off yeah so oh, i can lucky. hopefully although i'm doing some work on the house with my dad in the morning when otherwise i would just edit the podcast in the morning so then i can play limited when the set comes out but we'll see see my company doesn't respect the troops so you know market tomorrow i mean neither do i <gasps> <gasps>